0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
2: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt
3: Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend.
4: Now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. So good to be with you. You know. Got so much to talk about. Holy cow. We are going to get uh, busy, I think, today, talking about Hillary Rodham Clinton. New news. New old news. Yeah. Hillary, half of the people that have donated to the Clinton Foundation, according to the AP. Half of the non-governmental people. Half of the non-governmental people. Yeah. Plus, the governmental people, uh, governments have donated as oh, well. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. So half of the no, govern the non-governmental, have met with Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State. You give a little money to the Clinton Foundation, apparently you get to meet with Secretary of State.
0: By the way, yeah. The uh, after that information came out, and it looks bad, obviously, because really bad. There's no there's no evidence that uh, that. Those meetings amounted to favors, but right. the fact that they could just kind of request a meeting and- And get it. There's a Clinton Foundation and they got the meeting. And, yeah. Well, um, the uh, Cl- the uh, Clinton campaign manager- Yeah, what did, what did- Brian Fallon tweeted out- Mr. Goes, Fallon, see, Jimmy's older brother, Brian. Trump donated to the Clinton Foundation while Hillary Rodden Clinton was Secretary of State. Doesn't that mean he's calling for an investigation on himself
3: yes. also? Yes. Yes, he is. It's about time. So he's involved in this, too. But. See, this is the funny thing is um, it, it, a lot of this may not actually amount to any ethical violations. It just looks bad.
0: It looks really bad. But it, but doing this kind of stuff is the kind of thing that gets you,
3: you you lose your job as secretary of state. Right. You'd also but apparently you're going to get a job as president. And then if you do this as secretary of state, why wouldn't you do this? There's six thousand donors. That she's tight with that have kind of paid their way in anywhere from what was about $100,000 is the average donation up to a million dollars up to $32 million with some countries, I think, donating Saudi Arabia. There was a prince. Yeah, the old prince. But in the end, uh, apparently it didn't violate certain rules, but it did violate – it just smells wrong.
0: It does. And there's – there's people involved in the Clinton Foundation that are contacting Hillary's assistants. And so you have this sort of middleman situation happening that seems really weird.
3: Uh-huh. and again, she'll still be elected president.
0: Because there's someone named Trump who's Trumping around. Exactly. Who's now under investigation because she's going to be under
3: investigation,
0: according well, to Mr. Fallon. <laughs> as Mr. as, as the, uh, the, yeah, the, uh, pr- the what her uh, campaign manager said. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. They have records of him donating into this situation that he wants investigated (laughs) by a special prosecutor.
3: But the good news is Hillary Clinton's health is okay. She's strong enough to open a pickle jar. Yeah, that was fun to watch. Um, I was
0: was wondering, because she seemed to be struggling with it for a moment. Was
3: she faking? I go, would this
0: look bad if she doesn't She just totally blows her shoulder out.
3: What the? (laughs)
0: Ouch! (laughs) She was sitting with a pillow, though. You see no, see? No, 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 no. Did she? I I looked did she On she go that interview list? with Jimmy Kimmel. No yeah. pillow. Yeah. That was a big. Um, but there were several other ones where yeah, she's she needs pillows a bunch to pillows. prop her
3: up. No. Like is she going to slide off the couch? Yeah, is she like, ready to that? be embalmed and slide off the couch? <laughs> Man alive! So we'll be getting to a little uh, you know Hillary Clinton money update, plus a really interesting um, first guest today talking about the problem with. Uh, policing, it might be masculinity. Hmm. We hire, we train, we indoctrinate that you got to be macho. If you're a cop, you, you know, when somebody says something rude or mean, you take a step towards them. You don't just, you know,
0: take control of the
3: situation. You own right? the moment. Yeah. And if, if we're teaching and pushing masculinity, then is that the cause of some of the other violence we're seeing? Hmm. Plus just racial bias anyway. So if you are if you have a racial bias, if you're afraid of a minority group, that they might be harmful and dangerous, and you have a masculinity issue, a lot of machismo on board. Are you throwing gas on a fire? Is that what you're you saying? You might, uh, yeah. Your first, your first solution might be shoot, and then we'll ask questions later. We'll be talking with a professor of uh, law at Suffolk University in Boston, and he's going to talk to us about an article he wrote, Police Brutality, a Masculinity Crisis, plus just lots of other fun... Things by the way, today mm. we are uh, today is Pluto demoted day, yes. Sad, sad day! <sighs> wow, our own solar system went through a change in classification in 2006. It did poor, poor Pluto was demoted from a planet to a dwarf planet. Mm. Nothing hurts your masculinity more than going from a full fledged planet to a dwarf planet. Today, in the second hour of the show, we will be interviewing. The planet, well, the demoted planet, the dwarf planet Pluto, kind of a counseling session, I believe.
0: Yeah, I'm going to do a little coaching. You're a trained coach. You you're, you help people through serious kind of like life issues, problems yes. that they need someone to talk to you about. Pluto
3: yeah. is not doesn't seem to be getting past the demotion. Right, it can't. What do you say? It can't get over it. It's not pushing through. Mm. It's it's, it's having an identity crisis. I think it's isolated itself at the far reaches of I the solar so system, so yeah. it needs
0: to, to come together with the other planets. We did
3: just send that satellite. Right. Uh, yeah. What was that called? That, we got to look that up because that was a really interesting thing. One okay. of our first pictures. That was us reaching out, uh-huh. reaching out. A hand of, of fellowship. But and, I've never seen a more sad planet. Yeah. That thing was icy just and cold. Down, yeah. down, dark. Yeah. It has this dark pale, Pale, not, mm-hmm. not a lot of color out there. Right. Second hour. We'll be interviewing. By the way, the first planet ever interviewed on The Matt Townsend Show. It's going to be a big day. Totally. We'll get to that, but first, we got to go to the headlines, folks. Caitlin Thomas is going to give us the headlines. Caitlin?
4: Donald Trump ratcheted up his attacks on the Clinton Foundation at a rally last night claiming she and former President Bill Clinton set up a business to profit from public office. A group of emails from Clinton's time as Secretary of State released on Monday revealed how donors to the Clinton Foundation sought and sometimes received access to Clinton and her aides at the State Department. Since launching her bid for president, Hillary Clinton has been a vocal critic of for-profit schools pledging in speeches across the country to crack down on predatory schools and help students drowning in student loan debt. But over the past five years, former President Bill Clinton has earned $17.6 million from the world's largest for-profit education company Laureate, Education Inc. And in his role as Honorary Chancellor, he quit that role just 12 days before Hillary Clinton announced her run for president. A spokesperson told NBC News yesterday that his five-year contract expired at that time. A 6.2 magnitude earthquake rocked a swath of central Italy this morning, burying residents under rubble as they slept and killing at least 38 people. The earthquake Hit at 3:36 a.m. local time near Norcia and was felt more than 100 miles away in Rome. Several large aftershocks followed. Italy's defense ministry mobilized the army to help in the search for survivors. A firefighter said as many as 70 people were buried in the ruins. The town's hospital has been badly damaged and patients have been moved out onto the streets. And lastly, U.S. Olympic swimmer Jimmy Feigen made his first public comments yesterday about the bathroom hijinks that spiraled into an international incident in Rio, saying he omitted the facts to police in an attempt to help teammate Ryan Lochte. His statement read, I omitted the facts that we urinated behind the building and that Ryan Lochte pulled a poster off the wall. I realize I made a mistake by omitting these facts. I was just trying to protect my teammate, and for this I apologize. Feigen returned to the U.S. from Brazil just on Saturday. There you have it, Matt. There's your headlines for this morning.
3: Wow, thank you, Caitlin, for clearing that up. See, all it took was Caitlin to get on the job. She gets it. She nails it. We get Lotke cornered. <sighs> Lotke not to be uh, confused with Lotka, the driver of taxi. I thought that was like
5: a flattened potato pancake. Mm, is it? L- Lotka. Lotka? Yeah. Hmm. I didn't hmm. know that. Let's call it a
0: pancake.
3: a potato pancake, though. That is a piece of heaven. Don't complicate things. Piece of heaven. Oh, holy cow. Tragedy in Italy. Yeah. There's a mayor there that says the city does not exist anymore. I mean, he lost his job. So far, I think 35 people dead. And the mayor no longer needs to be mayor when the town is gone. Mm. And, And you had a bad morning. Isn't that crazy? Traffic oh. was tough, yeah. Traffic was really tough on the way in today. I'm driving, uh, listening to the news, hearing a story about Tesla's new battery mm-hmm. that makes it the fastest car on Earth. Probably not Pluto. We'll ask. We'll ask. If they have yeah. Tesla on Pluto. But I guess you can upgrade your batteries mm-hmm. and you can now go zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds Wow! at ludicrous speed, they call it. That's useful. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, <laughs> while I'm driving... The most beautiful Tesla pulls up next to me, Mm. and I'm like, wow, I'm listening about Tesla. Mm -hmm. Look at that good-looking Tesla. Then I say, oh, sure, look at that good-looking guy in the Tesla. (laughs) Sure, it's a good-looking car, ludicrous speed, with a ludicrous, good-looking, studly guy sitting at the wheel. And then he looks over at me. We catch eyes. Mm. It's one of my good friends, one of my high school best friends. He
0: didn't uh, bat his eyes at you or – did he give you, like, the the point wink thing? And
3: He looked at me and he said, How you doing? A Honda Accord? <laughs> Living it up, huh? <laughs> I think he gave you a look that said, This could be you someday. Someday, when you're an eye surgeon. If you apply yourself. I mean, he's like a real doctor. And he's driving a Tesla. And Do, now I'm w- going to write him and say...
0: W- would you like to get him on the show so we can talk about his car? We probably
3: ought to. He... It's a sweet-looking ride. It's exactly what I would buy.
0: We've been chasing all these people to talk about the future of electronic car, electric cars and all him. this. He owns one. Yeah. Let's have he's, him talk about what it's like to drive one around. Oh, he would probably not trust I, I watched a—it was a Toyota Prius. The guy yeah. starts it up, backs the thing up. I'm like, every time, it just bugs me. There's no noise. I know. That's You hear weird. a slight little whine, maybe a little, little rattle, and it's more the car moving, and it just drives mm-hmm. away. It's so quiet. If, I,
3: if I'm if i going to be killed or run over by a car, I'd like to know it's coming. I want that split second of, what the? I don't want to just be hit. If it makes
5: you feel any better, that is probably the most uncomfortable car I've ever been in. The a Prius. Prius. Did mm-hmm. you test drive one? As you, were I running? owned one for a couple of years.
3: Really? What was uncomfortable? Just the size? The,
5: the, the chair. The, you couldn't – I don't know if it didn't have the lumbar support. You just could not <laughs> – change it,
3: configure it to your back. It was horrible. It was – yeah. Well, a lot of people that drive cars like that, economy cars, their backs are different. Sorry. What are you saying? I don't know. Just saying you got a – you got kind of a a spender back, one that will just frugal – I mean just – what's the word? Um, Just toss money around left and right. You've got a back that is for somebody that is wasteful and – not caring of mother earth. Hmm. so it's not you're saying it's not a good match. No. He's in the wrong car. Now he's got a great car. Well, I just went out and got a Tesla. Oh, I was coveting my I was coveting my neighbor's car. Car. Hmm. And then I found out he's my friend. So you need to think about it. So I might get to go test drive it.
0: <laughs> at ludicrous speed. <laughs> so because you saw him now
3: you think you're hmm. getting a test drive. Yeah, I haven't talked to him for years, yeah, but I'm right. going to Actually, I talked to him the other day. But uh, I'm pretty much sure I'm going to be driving that car soon. Okay. Well, there you go. Hope he's listening. Let us know how it goes. Isn't that funny? By the way, I saw two Tesla. I saw two Tesla. I think Tesla's the plural. Tesla. Tesla, yeah. Tesla? Yeah. Yeah. Multiple Tesla are Tesla. You could try to say Teslas, but that doesn't sound right. The Tesla's would be one, wouldn't
5: it? I think it's like tesli or Tesla, like you know oh, fungi
3: or fungi i, I never could mm-hmm. conjugate yeah it, it is a, a lost art verbs i guess those aren't verbs tesla tesla teslam teslamos what, what are we talking about slice just the spanish of
0: tesla later on in the show see i saw something at a gas station that we must talk about Beef jerky. No. This was outside of the pump. It just blew me okay. away. Okay. So let's do that. I have photographs. Really?
3: Yes. You took a photograph?
0: No, just on my phone. Wow. Well, you're not supposed to use your phone next to the gas pump, but I did. Well, I was playing life dangerously this morning. Well, yeah, but like, that's better than what you normally do. Right. I usually just sort of coast. You but, yeah, yeah, with I, your lighter. I... <laughs> <laughs> Take a photo. We'll talk about it. It's very interesting. I don't know if it's necessary. I don't know if I would
3: ever use this feature, but it's on the gas pump now.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: Well, we're going to find out about that. 85 of 154 people, mm-hmm. private citizens, private interests. So these aren't government, these are non governmental entities that who, who met with Hillary, who met or had phone conversations scheduled with Clinton, had donated to her family charity more than half of the private citizens there there comes a uh, an
0: association that's happening there where someone donates but they're also talking with her and is there the what
3: 85 this? donors that got access to her had contributed as much as 156 million dollars to the Clinton Foundation hmm. each total total at least 40 donated more than 100,000 each 20 gave them more than 1 million dollars each hmm. Isn't that crazy? No. Now, the Clintons would say, and so would um, their little raging Cajun. Yes. From Baton Rouge. What was his name? Carville. James Carville said, they don't make money on this. Right. They Sure, some travel. Sure, some salaries when they were working there. Sure, other speeches came through for Mr. Clinton. Mm -hmm. Sure, they somehow netted a hundred and something million dollars over 10 years, but it wasn't from the foundation.
0: And they've disclosed their taxes for multiple years because she's been in public office. Those have been out there. Now she's, you know, she's put them out there again. And Trump still won't put out his tax stock. He's under audit. Yeah. Even though the IRS says it doesn't matter, but he thinks it does. I think he's under perma audit, isn't he? Well,
3: yeah, uh, that's what, that's what uh, Buffett says. Six thousand donors have, over the years, already provided Clinton charity with more than two billion dollars in funding since its creation. So the problem is, eventually, if she's made president, do you what? What do you do with now all of these six thousand people? Will they have access to you? Have they paid enough? And even. Mr. Clinton is now saying, yeah, we're going to have to probably do something about this. (laughs) Maybe shut it down. I don't know what we'll do. They're at least saying right now, they'll withdraw. If uh, she is elected president, they'll withdraw from the leadership positions in the Clinton Global Initiative. Many are saying, you got to shut her down. Shut her down. Anyway, we uh, will continue the discussion on that. So, you know, you got a big choice. Who do you want for president? Crazy eh? We'll take a break when we come back. We will be speaking about the problem of masculinity in policing. Is it what's leading to this increase in, uh, in, you know, in the news of shootings of innocent people? You know, maybe it's not such a new idea for certain populations. This uh, has been going on for years. We'll take a break. Come back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. With the Black Lives Matter and the Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter and Say Her Name social justice movements all in full swing, it seems as if police brutality is at an all-time high with police officers mainly being drawn from uh, comparably privileged sections of society, men and whites, victims of the criminal justice system, people of color are unjustifiably targeted. Is racial profiling... The only contributing factor to police brutality? Here to answer that question is law professor Frank Rudy Cooper. He is a professor of law at Suffolk University in Boston, where he teaches about constitutional law, criminal procedure, criminal law, and race and gender and law. We are so honored to have you, uh, Frank Rudy Cooper. Thank you so much for being with us.
6: Oh, good morning, Matt. Thank you for having me.
3: Loved your article uh, in the conversation. Um, I think it's opening up a, a really important issue about police uh police brutality talk to talk to us about you're you're trying to connect it and and actually are finding evidence about um, kind of a masculinity issue a problem of masculinity in our police force talk about your findings
6: absolutely so in a nutshell what i am arguing is that masculinity aggravates a tendency uh towards racial profiling And what I mean by that uh, is that masculinity is just, you know, how do we think that men should or do act in this society?
2: Mm. And that could
6: be men who think that or women who think that. And people will act in certain ways, maybe more aggressive uh, because they're trying to be masculine. And my basic argument is when you have police officers who are mostly men or who are women who may feel that they need to act in a masculine way, and when you have civilians who are mostly racial minority men, mm. you're going to get both a tendency towards racial profiling and the possibility of some kind of masculinity clash between those parties.
3: So masculinity, you're, um, you're defining really as aggressive, like an aggressive posture, What else? How else do you define it?
6: Yeah. So uh, there are a number of things in the literature. Sociologist Michael Kimmel is probably the leading researcher on masculinity. He talks about a number of things that in the United States relate to masculinity. So one is that there's a certain competitiveness between Mm. men. And these are, of course, just tendencies. And then, as well, there's the aggressiveness and the need to sort of one-up each other. We can look at uh, certain figures in popular culture and see that they are deemed more masculine when they are seen as more confident, bordering on arrogant, huh. when they uh, start to accrue tokens of esteem like lots of money, Airplanes, cars,
3: helicopters.
6: Women as objects, exactly.
3: <laughs> Gold buildings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not to name, not to, not to point anyone out. Um, well, of course so it but it's it's a really interesting idea i've always i've always it's funny I've never thought of it as masculinity I've kind of uh, thought of it as you know control but i guess that's part of it too, but competitiveness and it's but you bring out a really interesting point if people have a, an inherent bias to a minority group, mm-hmm. a fear of that minority group and then their natural tendency is to meet it with masculinity, force, you know, aggressiveness, it would create uh, a pretty ugly scenario.
6: Yeah, it absolutely could. So if you think of a police officer who may be afraid of a racial minority male that he's confronted with, and then you think of the racial minority male, and racial minority men have tended to be shown less respect in this society than other males, certainly, in this society. And so the racial minority, especially young racial minority male may be feeling like, I can't let this police officer disrespect me. Mm. And by the same token, police officers are often feeling, I can't let this civilian, this punk kid disrespect me. Uh, And there's a good reason for that when it comes to police officers, that sometimes they have to exhibit command presence. That means they have to aggressively take control of situations. The danger is that they will, as you said, be more fearful of certain people and start enacting that command presence Prematurely,
3: mm. And then we then we see a scenario on, uh, you know, somebody's filmed it on their iPhone and there was a shooting or some violence. But that may not have been the first interaction that teen had with the police. It may be the 50th.
6: Well, That's absolutely true. And we've seen that sometimes, as in Minnesota, uh, that's because police are racial profiling. Yeah, But it may also be because there's, you know, a kid in the area that the police know well to be sort of a troublemaker. And they've come across them many times. And so there's a conflict that's ongoing between the police officer and the civilian.
3: And then is it like a duel of masculinity? So the, 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 the boy, the teen, the teen that's kind of being disruptive... Has to position and posture himself as more strong and macho. The cop then machos up, and then it's just a macho battle.
6: Yeah, absolutely. That's the danger. So um, I just think of when I was a kid, and I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, so growing up in Harvard Square, being confronted by a police officer and thinking, you know, my friends are sitting next to me on Mm -hmm. the one hand, you know, I don't want to be treated like some little kid. I'm, you know, I was 18 or 19 years old, I felt like I was a man and I should be treated with respect. And uh, by the same token, the police officer is just thinking, you know, this punk kid is acting out in the middle of Harvard Square, and I've got to maintain control.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: How do you I, – because
3: I look at a lot of the police anyway are coming from military backgrounds, and another thing you point out in your article is they're also coming from, many of them, fairly privileged communities, and they might be doing this nobly to go serve and to protect yeah. and to help others, but they also may not have had experience with minority communities, and if they have a fear, if they have kind of an inherent insecurity – then machismo is probably the norm. It's just their standard default.
6: Yeah, so you raise a couple of important issues. One is that the way that we privilege uh, military service in this country for police forces, you know, it makes some sense. These are going to be people who will be good candidates, at least in terms of the physical characteristics of that person. But on the other hand, it means that we're more likely to get people who are uh, aggressive um, and perhaps maybe overly aggressive at times because... That's a quality we want to cultivate in the defenders yeah. of our country. Uh, so that's one problem that you may see uh, men or women uh, with a military background who are more prone to aggressiveness and violence. And then a second problem that you point out is these may mostly be whites and mostly white males who may or may not have had a lot of interaction with racial minorities and racial minority men uh, previously. And... That may lead to some misunderstanding, some fear. And when people feel scared, they're more likely to sort of, you know, puff up their chest and try and be aggressive to talk their to sort of uh, push the other person down. Mm.
3: It's I uh, we need your help here, Frank, because sure. I look at it like because, OK, I live in Utah, which is probably the least uh, ethnically diverse place in the United States. And yeah, well,
6: it's probably not. There are other places are, that can make that claim. <laughs> are there
3: actually? Okay, good. And um, I mean, I'm on a campus where there's, it's fairly, you know, white, but there's a lot of diversity from other countries. It's pretty diverse yeah. that way. But um, I can just almost hear white populations, people that have grown up in white neighborhoods sitting there saying, look. All a lot of these stories of these black kids getting Mm -hmm. shot—they were doing something wrong, right? They were breaking a law, or they were sometimes some of them, but they were doing something wrong. And it's almost—I think it's just that a a guy raised in a white neighborhood his entire life, very safe—we don't necessarily relate to the black experience in inner cities and in just in, in, in growing up in probably in the United States in general. Help us understand how just some of the data, some of the research about what's been happening to the black population as when it comes to profiling and, and arrests.
6: Sure, absolutely. So the... For one thing, in a lot of racial minority communities in inner cities, um, many of the young men have found that they've had interactions with the police that are very disproportionate to what you would find in a white community. So they're already feeling aggravated and um, disrespected by yeah. the police because they feel they're being singled out as suspects and uh, occasionally That's because they're doing something that might lead to suspicion, but often it's not. So uh, that's one thing. So you're going to see some sense of disrespect on part of racial minority males and feeling disrespected by police. Um, When it comes to thinking about these confrontations and saying, oh, well, that person was doing something wrong in the first place, I think it is really important for all of us to step back for a moment and say, what do we really want to happen in these situations? Mm. And what we want is a peaceful resolution to the situation. Even if somebody is doing something wrong, that doesn't mean they should get shot. Um, That should be the absolute last resort when the safety of the officer or the public is really endangered. And so I have argued that we should really be encouraging both sides to de-escalate. So it's not that I encourage, you know, young men who have been racial profiled uh, in the past to say, all right, now I'm going to take it out on this cop who's in front of me. Um, but I also think that police officers have to say to themselves, honestly, the uh, if you look at the Floyd versus New York City case um, in the federal district court, uh, you see a lot of evidence of racial profiling by police officers in New York City. And we know that New York City is sort of a leading police department that has influenced a lot of po- other police departments. Uh, so that's one piece of evidence that there is racial profiling going on in the country. Uh, there's also the fact that there were racial profiles created by the department, um, by, sorry, by the Drug Enforcement Agency back in the 80s. Mm. And they did significantly in their drug career profile sort of lean on race as a way of figuring out who they thought might be a suspect. So there is evidence that there's racial profiling and that creates the sort of situation where that tendency towards racial profiling can be exacerbated by masculinity when the police officer feels they're being disrespected, or the civilian feels they're being disrespected, and neither side wants to back down. Yeah, And I could give you more examples of that, certainly.
3: Well, and it's so interestingly, uh, the drug war has been disproportionately impacting minorities, especially black African-American males, right? Yeah. Is that right?
6: Yes, it absolutely is. So there's a, a Vast disproportion in who's in jail, yeah. and what we see is not just that there's a disproportion in who's in jail, but we also see that there's a disproportion in who gets stopped for drug crime. Mm. Uh, who gets convicted. Um, prosecuted, yeah. who gets convicted, and there's disproportion all along. However, the most important thing to remember is drug use is roughly equal across races. And when I say roughly equal, I mean actually that it's probably equal. <laughs> and on for some uh. drugs, uh, whites are more likely to use that drug than blacks are, and yet there's still a disproportion.
3: Mm. And you hear in New York, uh, and then we got to take a break, but we hear in New York There's all these incredible claims from the police force that how much they've lowered crime, crimes Mm -hmm. virtually non-existent in New York City now, all of these. But a lot of that was based historically on the backs of profiling.
6: Yes, it was based on racial profiling, I would argue, because... And I guess let me back up for one second and just say this: to the extent that crime has gone down, what the scholarship suggests is that it's gone down for a lot of reasons other than any particular police policy. Hmm. So we can't claim that racial profiling is the reason that crime
3: is down. Yeah. Okay. we are speaking with Frank Rudy Cooper. He is a professor of law at Suffolk University in Boston. And today is talking to us about America's police culture has a masculinity problem. When we come back, we'll be talking about how we can uh, go forward by de escalating, moving forward, maybe minimizing a little bit of the masculinity in the police force and maximizing community. We'll talk more with Frank Rudy Cooper when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. We are speaking with Frank Rudy Cooper. Frank is a professor of law at Suffolk University in Boston. He uh, received his uh, Juris Doctorate degree at Duke University. And uh, prior to teaching, Professor Cooper served as a federal district court judicial clerk, uh, which which is a pretty big deal. He has published over 25 scholarly works. And we're talking today about America's police culture has a masculinity problem. Frank Rudy Cooper, thanks again for being with us.
6: Oh, thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure.
3: I'm I'm learning a lot, and I really uh, I I just think there's a lot of America that doesn't understand what's really going on in this inner city world. Um, you bring up a really interesting point about masculinity. Uh, masculinity being kind of kind of the typical uh, behaviors that we see as manly aggressiveness, uh, competitiveness, one up one upsmanship. Um, but if, if if police, for example, are profiling, and the research shows it exists, it's real, um, if they are profiling then and their t- traditional method of dealing with their police work is using a form of masculinity, it will probably justify more aggressive behavior toward those being profiled.
6: Yes. Well, uh, as I suggested before, there's the need for command presence sometimes by police officers, right. and that means you've got to shout people down, you've got to take control of the situation, Step in, means yeah. grabbing them and, you know, throwing them against a car, etc. So um, there's a real reason why that might be necessary, but sometimes all police officers or civilians are doing is acting macho, and that means they're just puffing up their chest and trying to get others to back down. Hmm. And trying to get people to back down for the sake of backing down is what we need to stop.
3: Yeah. is Have you noticed a difference? Does the research say anything with more and more women joining the force? Is it changing masculinity or the, that approach in policing? Yes,
6: it is somewhat. So there's some suggestion in the research going back to the Rodney King riots that when women enter police departments, there is less police brutality. Now, we can't prove that it's you know, just because they're women. But we know that in this culture, men and women have tendencies to have slightly different behaviors. Hmm. That uh, Carol Gilligan is the scholar who has pointed out that women tend to be less hierarchical and more sort of compromise-oriented. There's been some suggestion in the scholarship that female police officers are better at negotiating their way out of conflict, rather than pushing their way out of conflict hmm. physically.
3: Do do we know if are there fewer females involved in
6: uh,
3: in shooting related incidents? Um, with
6: that seems to be the case that yeah. women are less likely to be involved in the police brutality and the shooting incidents.
3: It's such a it's such a weird game, isn't it? Because you want them to use command presence, and you can see the need to kind of take charge in certain situations you also can see the need for compassion. Is this something you can train, or is this something we hire?
6: Yes, I think that we can both hire and train. So starting with hiring, we can hire uh, looking at the personality of the person as well as their record to see if they are compassionate. We Mm -hmm. really could try and build that into the procedures for police hiring. Right now, we look at some civil service numbers and give a preference to military veterans, and that doesn't get at the question of can this person negotiate their way out of a conflict. And then for training, right now most of the training focuses on how to take control of situations or how to use your gun. Um, and it really doesn't focus on how to negotiate your way out of a conflict. I've recommended that we do more of the sort of verbal judo mm-hmm. uh, training that would allow people to say, okay, you know, you're, you're talking a lot of smack because you're sitting in front of your, your boys and you want to be respected. That's fine.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what
6: I need you to do. Right. Uh-huh. I need you to stop threatening people. I need you to quiet down so that I can figure out what's going on in the situation. I need you to, you know, back out of this space so I can conduct my investigation, and that's the talking down of the situation rather than the physical force.
3: Mm-hmm. It doesn't almost it seems like matter because what you're bringing up is masculinity, but that could cross all barriers. So I mean, a female officer could still take on a masculine. Kind of approach, and that would be just as problematic. Um, Absolutely, right. So, so it's you may be onto something that actually could even uh, what's the word? Could maybe soften a little bit of the race tension uh, mm-hmm. because it's we're dealing with something that might transcend race.
6: Yeah, I think it does transcend race, and and as you pointed out, in some ways it transcends gender. It's not as though a man has to act in a sort of hyper-masculine way. And it's not as though a woman can't act in ways that are associated with masculinity. Uh, So this crosses a lot of lines. And what I'd really like to see is for people to just think of the police as representing all of us. And so when they uh, act out in a macho way, Uh, I don't want them acting out in that way unless it's necessary.
2: Mm -hmm.
6: So I think that's the way to sort of connect this back to, you know, what does, um, as you were saying, sort of typical white American who is not raised in the inner city, what's their stake in how the police act towards racial minorities in the inner city? And what their stake is, is this is on... Your behalf, yeah, right. right. So, do you know, it the way I, I would want do, want do police, it, yeah, right. Exactly. I don't want the police to to beat somebody down when they could have just talked them out of a situation because I feel like they're doing that in my name.
3: Uh huh. It's funny because I, I look at it, and you probably—I don't know how often you interacted with police in the Cambridge Square, um, Harvard Square. Yeah, <laughs> Harvard Square. Probably not much, really. Right. So not a not a ton, and and yet. Uh, that, that's, I think, what's different is that most of us don't ever interact with police unless they're a neighbor, a brother, a friend, family member, or, you know, somebody egged our house or something weird. Right, right. But but in, in, in inner city, th- these youth might be coming across police, especially if they're being profiled, much more often.
6: Yeah, so there are stories of people who uh, have had, you know, 50 interactions with the police over the course of a year or two, and, you know, for me, I may have had... Uh, other than, as you say, in a friend context, five interactions yeah. with the police, and that's you know that's counting sort of broadly. <laughs> uh-huh,
3: right. Mine are just speeding tickets. That's all I can remember. <laughs> Every time right, I meet I a cop, you're... I was probably speeding, <laughs> Yeah, um, which is probably pretty normal, I guess. What uh, do you think – because one of the greatest moments, and I don't know the officer's name, but in the Ferguson tensions that were brewing – there was an, uh, a, a black uh, police officer that was brought in, I think, from the sheriff's oh, yeah. department to lead. And oh, he was brilliant how he yeah. handled the crisis. And you, he, he de-escalated it, almost decreased masculinity, but was tough as nails, but could reach these people that felt so oppressed.
6: Well, it helped that he was from the community, and that's another thing that we could think about in terms of hiring or protocols. Certainly in the city of Boston, uh, a lot of municipal officials are supposed to live in the city, Mm. right? So uh, if you live in the city, you may or may not live around a lot of racial minority males, but you're in some proximity to them, and better yet, maybe you come from the community so that when um, that sergeant went back to the community, he was going back home. He was going home. Um, and people understood him as you know being part of the community and caring about the community so that when he said, I need people to you know protest in a certain way and back away from certain areas, people understood that that was for a reason other than just sort of showing off the latest tank. Yeah. And he did pull the tanks out of there and that, that totally. sent a message that this is not about seeing how many people we can kill. is right. really about keeping the peace.
3: That's, I guess, part of the masculinity, right? We always, we, I guess, and that's, some would call that command presence, right? You got to show, we'll yes. handle it. And yep. there's that fine line. Is is it hard to get minority Americans to want to be police officers?
6: I don't believe that it is. Uh, you know, a lot of times I spoke with the police chief here in uh, boston uh william evans who is fantastic and he just pointed out that uh he had to well let me put it this way he has tried to bring in more racial minority police officers he has candidates who are not winning the competition because they're not veterans And he's trying to figure out ways to bring in more racial minority police officers. And he's come up with some ways to bring in more racial minority police officers. I won't speak on his behalf. (laughs)
3: Well, and it's really hard because you don't want to also sound like you're profiling,
6: (laughs) even for your own force. Right. Right. You need to be fair. But But you kind of need to. (laughs) Well, uh, it's been found in the federal courts that this can be one reason why you might use something like affirmative action. You've got a police force that doesn't represent the community. Mm-hmm. That's a problem for all of our safety and peace. Right.
3: Oh, and see, the sad thing is, I'd also love to see you know more more minorities in my neighborhood. That's maybe more white and right. Just more integration and ah, and more officers on the street so my kids can meet them and get to know them and feel safe. And ah, yes, it's a absolutely. big job, isn't it, Frank?
6: It is a big job, and we've come a long way as a society. We've still got a, a little bit of a ways to go. I tend to think the answer is not to be colorblind or gender neutral, but instead to say, hey, we're all different, and we all deserve equal respect.
3: Yeah, and I guess all of us can do better yeah. at understanding the issue, not just assuming everyone's living like we are, um, and you know, I guess, too – figure out what what level of masculinity we bring into everything as well. We can control that.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And we can try and think about it more. And conversations like this are really helpful. So I have appreciated the opportunity to talk with you about it. You bet,
3: Frank. In fact, we're going to have to have you back on another topic. Now that we know we've got this awesome resource, we are going to go to the well again. I, I would love that. Frank Rudy Cooper, thank you so much for your insight. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Frank, again, is a professor of law at Suffolk University in Boston, where he teaches constitutional law, criminal procedure, criminal law, and race and gender law. We will take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, interesting, interesting learnings there with Frank Rudy Cooper about uh, masculinity and policing. It's It's got to be a really hard job, right? To be a cop, everywhere you go, something could happen. You know, it's bad every morning just getting ready for work. You've got to strap on a bulletproof, ja- a bulletproof vest. I mean, just getting dressed every morning. Think about it. What do you have to do to get dressed? Okay, I got to do my hair, got to shower, shave, shine, oh, jacket, right, put on my, my uniform, put on my belt with gun on one side, taser on another side, mace on another side, baton, handcuffs. I mean, I'm assuming when you're putting all of that on every day, it gets a little, a little tedious. Uh, check out this call. A Boston uh, man is now facing felony charges after police found an explosive device in his home while investigating his report of a break-in and car theft. So they call the police. Hey, somebody broke into my house and, uh, and took my car. The cops show up. They're in the house. They look over. Bada boom, bada bing. There's a bomb an explosive, you know, device, they're calling it, sitting right there.
7: I am so smart. I mean, (laughs) S-M-A-R-T.
3: Not so smart. Not so smart, buddy. Kevin Butler, 26, called them saying someone's broken into his home. The officers show up and uh, someone had stolen his car and a safe full of cash. But there is an explosive device there. I mean, that could have gone so wrong. So you're a cop, you show up, you're taking the guy's report, you look on the nightstand or the whatever, the table there, and there's a bomb. So they had to call the bomb squad in. (sighs) Just another day. So as you think about your police out there, there there, there is a degree of masculinity in play. (laughs) You know, these are the guys walking into a scenario when a husband and a wife are fighting. They're just going to walk in there. They're the guys that when there was a call with a man with a gun on a campus, they're the ones that drive to the scene and pull up and jump out as fast as they can and run toward the scene. Everyone else is running away and they run toward. So we probably need a degree of masculinity to even make that attractive. And then we get frustrated with the cops when they become overly masculine, right? And they they can't pull it back. So training is probably in order, more skills, more tools. It couldn't hurt. And also a deeper respect for what uh, it's like to be a minority in this country. We, we can, as humans, go step in their shoes and try to understand what it's like. One way to do that is just listening to people like Frank Rudy Cooper. So uh, share that uh, last interview with as many people as you can. You can do that by going to iTunes or TuneIn or BYUradio.org, and you can just forward it on. Let's change the world, folks. We're changing the dialogue. That's how we'll do it. We'll take a break. Come back. Hour number two. Next hour, we'll be talking with Pluto. We have an in-studio interview with the dwarf planet Pluto. As today, we celebrate Pluto Demotion Day. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at
4: 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
4: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
5: BYU Radio.
3: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, hour number two of the program. Top of the morning to you. So good to have you here. uh, We've got a great show for you. Today is... A very very special day. We have a special guest coming into studio in a few moments. It's the uh, the first time we will have ever. I think. I think Terry, correct me. Is this the first time we've interviewed a uh, a member of a a planet, a dwarf planet,
0: Uh, a body of of type in the solar system? Yeah. See, he's not a planet. He was demoted. He's a dwarf planet. He's depressed. He's depressed. He's, he's just down. Kinda, he's not with the rest of the group. He's always on the fringe, yeah. he's
3: way out there. Pluto. Yeah. Today is uh, on August twenty fourth. We celebrate Pluto Demoted Day, mm. and we decided, hey, let's get him on the phone. You guys,
5: he's he's over here. He's already looking not very yeah. happy. He's chomping at the
3: bit.
0: Yeah. We had to move some chairs around in the green room. Yeah. Just to help him find a space. He's kind of <laughs> big for being a, a big, dwarf dude. planet.
3: Yeah. He doesn't seem so dwarfy. You know, he's, he seems kind of, he's, he's, got, he's got some size to him. He's blue. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know that it's his real
0: color. I haven't seen him, but. From the pictures from uh, when they flew that orbiter by, he's more of a chalky white. He's a chalky white guy. Yeah. We will be speaking with the planet Pluto,
3: dwarf planet.
0: He may need to get out more. If he's mm-hmm. that pasty, he may need to get a little color. So if he comes in closer, maybe the sun can warm him up a little bit.
3: Well, I bet. Well, I want to ask him about his relationship with the sun. Yeah, it seems distant. Yeah, it seems very distant. It's kind of cold. I don't know. He's kind of cold. We'll be getting to that as well as we'll be speaking about how to deal with jerks in the office. Mm. We don't have any of that here. More (laughs) passive-aggressive.
0: How to deal with the passive-aggressive in the office. I don't know if they're going to go complete jerk on you, but no. there's some passive-aggressive type things that yeah. happen.
3: It just happens. I think that's pretty much what happens in every company. Yeah, it's nice, company but in a jerk sort of way. You know what's great for me? I sleep right through it. Do you? hmm You just don't even pay attention. If right. I shut my door, turn off the lights, hmm. nobody even thinks I'm
0: there. Well, that's what I look for. I usually walk by and I go, ah, oh, he's walking again? He's walking. When really you're just in there sleeping. I'm just sleeping. But they
3: think I'm walking. hmm we will uh, we will talk about how to deal with jerks in the office. It's based on an interview with uh, in Inc. Magazine, I believe, and Peter Economy mm. will be joining us. By the way, what a name for Inc. Magazine. Peter Economy. So today we will be talking with Mr. Economy and Mr. Pluto.
0: Pretty substantial interview. His first name is Maurice.
3: Maurice Pluto. Is it Maurice? Yeah, it's a little-known fact. Wow. That's kind of embarrassing. We'll ask him about that. It's a family name. Don't they just call him Mo? Mo. <laughs> Mo Pluto. We will be speaking with him as well. But first, we must get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on?
4: Thanks, Matt. A poll conducted by the Feldman Group shows Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump in a dead heat in South Carolina. The poll, paid for by the South Carolina Democratic Party, found the candidates tied at 39 percent. South Carolina has not voted for a Democrat for president since Jimmy Carter in 1976. Donald Trump has a mere one-point lead on Hillary Clinton in the deep red state of Missouri. um, uh, A poll released yesterday revealed among likely voters, 44 percent in the state support Trump, with 43 percent backing Hillary Clinton, 8 percent 8% backing Libertarian Gary Johnson and 5% still undecided. There's a good news for Trump in Utah, though. He holds a 15-point lead on Clinton in the most recent poll released, with 39% to Clinton's 24%, despite his unpopularity with the Mormon voters. The National Labor Relations Board ruled that Columbia University graduate students can unionize, effectively allowing grad students nationwide to unionize at private colleges. According to the 3-1 to decision announced yesterday, graduate students can be afforded the same protections as employees under federal labor law. Graduate students deserve labor-related protections when they perform work at the direction of the university, for which they are compensated specifically when they perform the duties of a teacher's assistant." And lastly, Matt, a Florida teenager has beaten the odds surviving an infection by a rare amoeba that kills nearly all of its victims. Wow. Sebastian DeLeon, a 16-year-old, was on vacation in Orlando with his family when he started feeling sick. His parents took him to a local hospital where doctors found he was infected with an amoeba. Doctors at Florida Hospital for Children induced a coma, lowered his body temperature to 33 degrees, and gave him an antiparasitic drug. Normally, this amoeba proves fatal, but the treatment worked, and Sebastian survived. Sebastian is just one of four people in the United States who has survived an infection like this in the past 50 years. Wow. So there you have it.
3: Congrats, Sebastian.
4: But look out for these amoebas. Stay Holy out of the dirty water.
3: Cow. Oh, great. Everyone that went to Rio is like,
4: what?
3: Anyway, thank you, Caitlin. Man, alive. Good job, Sebastian. That's pretty cool. The body's an amazing thing. I guess.
0: It can fight off. They freeze it to 33 degrees to try to take out the amoeba. Yeah. But in the meantime, it, the host pretty much isn't supposed to be
3: that cold either. So, are you talking to me? Could be the host. It's a different. Oh, a different host. Yeah. Wow have we got a uh, Have we got a, just a little gift from heaven for you today? Today or the heavens? Or the heavens? Yeah, quite literally. Depends right. on how you look at it. Imagine that you come into work one day and your desk has been cleared. Someone from HR informs you that you no longer work for the company. Our next guest has an idea of what that feels like. Ten years ago, today, in fact, Pluto was demoted. It was stripped of its planet status, and believe it or not, he's in the studio with us to talk today. Mr. Maurice Pluto, also known as Mo Pluto... Thank you so much for making the long trip. Come on in. Welcome. Come on in.
5: Can you hear me from back here? Yeah, get a little
3: closer. Can you just Um, lean that round, rotund body of yours?
5: Excuse me. Yeah.
3: Good to have you.
5: I usually got a lot more space than this. Yeah.
3: You usually get to stretch out, don't you, Mr. Pluto?
5: Yeah. You seem down. Are you kidding me with that? (laughs) I lost my job ten years ago. My friend stopped talking to me. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I was also engaged. I lost my girl. Oh, you were? Yeah. You were uh, engaged? Saturn and me, you know, we hooked up Aww. and uh, I gave her a ring.
3: She's beautiful. And she
5: kept it. She broke it off, but she kept the ring.
3: <laughs> you, um, Mr. Pluto, you don't work for Trump, do you? Have you ever heard of Donald Trump? Trump? Yeah, he's kind of his own
5: galaxy. <laughs> That's his own uh, orbit? I'm more of a Bernie guy, to be honest with you. <laughs> you feel the burn? Oh, I feel the burn. You know
3: what I mean? That's really good. Hey, so let's get to let's get to the nuts and bolts of this. It had to have hurt uh, when you when you lose your job, when you're demoted to a dwarf planet. How did that make you feel? You know? How, how did it feel? And how does it feel? Not being a planet anymore. <sighs> Thank you, by the
5: way, for bringing me here on the 10-year anniversary of my demotion. That uh, that was very sensitive of you, by the way. <laughs> you know, it. Uh, I take it a day at a time. That's all you can do. I've spent a lot of time in the unemployment line with uh, some of the other guys that have also been demoted. You know, uh, you've probably heard of uh, K-Pax. Yeah. K-Pax was demoted. There's... Um, Kerglepton was also demoted. I haven't heard of Kerglepton. And uh, then there's uh, Bob. Oh, was Bob, Bob was a planet that was demoted? Oh yeah, he's <laughs> he's taking it rough. Let me tell you, he uh, he's kind of becoming a masochist. Is uh,
3: I didn't realize so many of these planets are being demoted. You mm-hmm. know, so mm-hmm. so what do we do? What are all these planets doing in their free time? What do you do all day? Well, now you that know, you know, free. I like to sleep in. I've been catching up on
5: TV. You know, we've got a satellite up there with loads and loads of channels. Yeah, great what's, packages.
3: What's your favorite show?
5: Um, probably uh, what's that one show called, uh, The Bachelorette?
3: <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> really. So yeah, just what do you like about that? Just the. The you dialogue. know, I,
5: I, I may seem a little rough around the edges, but uh, I, I'm actually a softy at heart.
3: You, you, you are? I mean, not to be rude, but that seems... <clears throat> Soft isn't what I'd call you. What would you call me, Matt? Uh, angry. Kind of Angry. Angry. You I mean, know, I mean, I mean that. You, you
5: Matt, you got to be careful what you say to me. I, I, I could be doing other shows. Like <laughs> I've got Nancy Drew, not Nancy Drew, Nancy Grace. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're going to be on the Nancy Grace show. Doing that show. I've, uh-huh. I've got a cooking show. Yeah. I love to cook. I love to eat. I've been doing a lot of that in my spare time as well. Yeah,
3: it looks like you have put a little on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't that, which is interesting because you were, were you were demoted, but were you demoted because? You're now a dwarf planet. So was it your size? Uh,
5: excuse me. Let me just stop you right there. Dwarf planets can call each other dwarf planets, but when when you humans call us that, it's offensive. All right? Okay, so just watch so it there. No, you know, little, actually... Little uh, planet. You know, I was actually really close to being a planet.
3: You, you, really close. I'm almost there. You, you were really close. Yeah. I mean... You, you were a planet, actually, according to us. Yes. For a while. And then, what, 10 years ago, they just thought, eh, this guy's a little wobbly. A little wobbly. Well, apparently,
5: there's like three criteria you got to meet in order to be a planet. And I,
3: I missed. I, I got two of them down. Okay, let's look at those. First, you have to – the object must be in orbit around the sun. Got it. Did you do that? Well, I'm, I'm going to be doing it. You, you've got a – yeah, you've got a weird orbit. Not to be rude, your orbit is a little off, com- I mean, compared to other orbits. Would you agree? Define off. I don't know. It just takes you a lot longer to do what other people do very quickly.
5: Listen – I'm going to be I'm going to be getting there in like 2147 something like that. It's like yeah. going to the doctor. I've I've heard things about the sun not good things and I'm not really looking forward to kind of like you are looking forward to going to the
3: doctor, Matt. I I love a good trip yeah. to the doctor. Okay, so number one, I got down... You past. got the orbit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the object, uh, you, I guess, must be massive enough to be rounded by its own gravity. You are definitely doing that. Done. You're very well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Not to be rude. It must have been cleared... Oh, it must have cleared the neighborhood around its orbit. That's... That's the your one, problem. That's the one that gets me. You can't... So your problem is you can't clear your neighborhood. No. Huh. That's got to hurt. Do the people in the neighborhood not like you? You know, I'm not even actually
5: sure what that means to clear the neighborhood. I guess I was gone that day when they (laughs) made that uh, requirement.
3: Okay. That's uh,
5: they being (sighs) who? The only way I remember the name is because the the initials are IAU, and I just think I hate you, so (laughs) IAU. And uh, I think it stands for the, uh, yeah. you know, like the interstellar it's, it's, auto-mechanical. Uh, it's the
3: International Astronomical Union. Stuff, if you say so, Matt. Whatever. And it, I'm noticing just the expert communicator in me, is not, I'm noticing you're, you have a lot of hatred there towards the IAU by calling them the I hate you. Yeah.
5: yeah. Well, again, you know, imagine one of your higher-ups comes by and says, uh, you know what, you're more of a... You're more of a board operator, not not a host. You know yeah. what I'm saying?
3: Yeah. So um, that's offensive. It's like you're yeah you know, you're like a you're like a little planet, not a real planet. That's what that again. Feels like. Watch
5: it with your phraseologies with the little and the small and the dwarf. Let, let me ask you about this
3: um, before we get to your book because I mm-hmm. know you are, I know you have a new book out mm-hmm. and I'm dying to hear about that. Um, it, it's is it true you have five moons? You have five moons?
5: Well, I had six okay. and the IAU take one of those away too, you know.
3: <laughs> what did what, I got I've been dying to ask this. What do you do with your moons? What? Like do you what do you do? Is this this is part of the neighborhood you I guess you haven't cleared.
5: Have you ever heard of uh, billiards? Yeah. Well, me and the guys, you know, we kind of like to get together and uh, we put on a good game of you know, interstellar Stella billiards, if you will. I've got, I had, well, I had six moons. I got five now, yeah. and then the uh, last one. You know, Caglipton. He brings a few along with him.
3: <laughs> is is it true that I mean, to lose a moon, it's like losing a child, right? I wouldn't know anything about that. Okay, sorry. Uh, here's another crazy thing. I was reading about your name, mm-hmm. Pluto, mm-hmm. and I found it fascinating. Do you know where your name came from.
5: It's, well, you, No, well, yeah, like everybody else, you get it from your mom, right? Well, you know, yeah,
3: yours, yours didn't come from your mom. I think yours actually came from an 11-year-old girl at Oxford, right? Uh, and she named you Pluto after a Greek god of the underworld, like Hades. Well, that sounds pretty cool to me, don't you think? I think she nailed it. Her name was Venetia Burney. Venetia. She could have named you
5: Venetia. Oh, like the blinds. Yeah. Was she the blinds
3: girl. I don't. I don't think she invented Venetian blinds. Oh, but what's it like to be named by an eleven year old girl?
5: Well, uh, what's it like to be named after some Greek god? Wouldn't that? I mean, that's the thing we want to focus on here, yeah. right? Greek god of the underworld. Yeah, I mean, it, maybe that's. I if, wouldn't mind taking a name from the girl that invented the blinds. That sounds fine to me.
3: Yeah, let's get to your book. All right, Mo. Uh again we're speaking with Maurice Pluto also known as Mo Pluto. So you got a book out coming out.
5: Mm-hmm. What's uh mm-hmm. edify us? Well, uh do you know anything about exoplanets, Matt? No. Well, an exoplanet is a planet that uh that orbits a star other than the sun. You know, we're trying to send the message that uh Not everything revolves around the sun, you know, like the sun is this big, big, great person. (laughs) Uh, The book, uh, you know, we're trying to get them so that they can get a planet classification as well. And uh, we think we might have a good case on our hands. The name of the book is uh, Men Are From Mars, and Backstabbing Women Who Leave You For Another Planet Are From Saturn. Wow. Wow. That seems Jupiter. She's going with Jupiter now. Is she yeah. Jupiter of all people? Yeah, I mean, he thinks he's so high and mighty because he's the the biggest planet out there. But you know what? To me, that just means
3: he's got more gas. Wow. Really? So you let me get this straight. Your ex-girlfriend, Saturn, mm-hmm. left you for a gas bag called Jupiter. Mhm. That's got to hurt. So you lost your girl and your planetary title. Yeah. And you're still not orbiting around the sun, this massive gas hole that you don't like for what, another 30 years? Yes. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Man, that's a tough life. Uh, I hope your sales go well. I mean, I doubt it. Uh, you know, you're a small planet. Sm- tiny. Would, did you? Tiny planet, I, tiny I, demographic, few, uh, probably a, a tiny market. Wait a minute. Is this a jab? Are you no, jabbing no, me? No, I'm just saying good luck with your book sales. I'm, I'm sure there's what? they are going to be nine sales?
5: Matt, I come in here to your studio and you insult me. I could have been doing Nancy Grace's show, the cooking show, but I chose your show. <laughs> and this is – I, you know, I, I'm i going to head over there right now. You, you I've, know, you're
3: coming off of I've, a, wee, a, a tiny, itty-bitty, wee bit uh, confrontational. That's it. I'm out of here. Goodbye, Matt Townsend, Mr. (laughs) Doctor. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Pluto. First time we've ever had someone walk off the show. Or actually, sorry, roll off the show. (sighs) Weird moment. Anywho, let's just get on to the next section of the show. That's kind of weird. We will uh, be talking how to deal with jerks. Couldn't be a better timing. Mow the Pluto planet. Hmm. We'll be back, folks. We'll speak uh, with Peter Economy about how to deal with jerks in the office. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good, find the good in the universe. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Let's face it, whether we like it uh, or not, there, there always seems to be one person in the office who we just can't seem to get along with. They're always the one cracking crude jokes, inappropriately speaking out, or just making those around them feel really uncomfortable. They may even be the type that seem to enjoy bullying others that are around them. We try ignoring them. We might try to be polite, sometimes even going as far as trying to befriend them at the cost of our own mental sanity. But just how should we really be dealing with these jerks uh, that we deal with? Well, Peter Economy, our next guest, is a best-selling author, business author. He's here with us this morning to help us address an article he wrote, How to Deal with the Jerks in the Office. And we appreciate you, Peter. Thank you so much for being with us today.
8: Thank you, Matt. It's great to be with you today.
3: You are, uh, you're a busy man. You have more than 80 books um, <laughs> to your credit, and uh, you've been a ghostwriter. You, you write a lot for Ink Magazine as well. How did you get on the topic of dealing with jerks?
8: Well, it's a, it's a real common uh, topic. It's something we've all dealt with in, in jobs. I, you know, I don't think there's a single person who probably hasn't had to deal with a jerk at work or you know, in their personal lives as well. So it's just a real common thing.
3: You, uh, you quote a really interesting statistic that says 40% of employees say that working with an unpleasant person, I guess a jerk, lowers productivity. And uh, it's it's interesting. That's that's and when you look at that, you know, economically. That's a that's a lot of money that jerks are costing us.
8: Yeah, it's a tremendous hit on productivity, and and it's not just you know that aspect which is huge, but but think about all the stress that, that working with a jerk would cause too. And stress is, is another major um, you know destroyer of, of just productivity at work, and then also in your personal life, it can cause. Um, um, all sorts of uh, illnesses and and uh, personal
3: uh, health afflictions. Yeah, it's um, it, it starts to take it out of us. Uh, I think it was the Gallup organization talked about um, engagement in our offices, and I guess only about 70% of employees were like – were actively – or 70% of employees were disengaged, not into – their work environment, and I, I'm, I guess I'm assuming a lot of that, might, or some of that, has to do with the stress they're feeling, kind of the lack of motivation, and then the bully, the jerk.
8: Yeah, it's it's really a shocking statistic, and Gallup, you know, is, has surveyed this for several years, and it's it's pretty consistent over the years that that there is that much, you know, seventy percent disengagement. Only about thirty percent of employees are actually engaged in their work. Actually, really. Enjoying where they work and, and doing a, you know a really good job, so it's it's it is shocking. And there's a lot of reasons for it, but certainly office jerks and bullies aren't helping out. That's for sure.
3: What do you think? I mean, maybe is that the behavior? Is that what happens when you are disengaged? When you are stressed at work? Are, are some people just jerks because they're stressed themselves?
8: I'm sure there's some of that. I think some people are just you know that's just their personality. That's the way that they've they've growing up and that's the way that they are. And, um, you know they when they get under stressed, yeah, they're probably even worse. They, you know, I think when they get, when when a jerk gets stressed, <laughs> it, it, it's bad for everybody. It, it, it turns up the knob. You know, it, it goes to eleven when, yeah, totally. when the jerk is under stress.
3: <laughs> yeah, when the jerk's under stress, everyone's under stress. Is it? Uh, I, I guess we almost just kind of fall into survival mode, don't we? We we try either. I mean, I guess you could try to fight the jerk, but that seems to get ugly. More people seem to just kind of avoid the jerk. And um, and it also seems like it might be something that they this is where they're going to go start talking with coworkers behind the back and kind of right. pl- playing more of the passive aggressive side. Wh- what do you? I mean, what's the impact of that? What what is the appropriate response as we start dealing with a jerk?
8: Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, is that you know we all work in in teams of people. I, I think you know there's certainly been a big shift in, in many workplaces towards working in teams and putting a large emphasis on teamwork. And, you know, the team has to be, uh, has to get along. Everyone has to get along. Everybody has to work together. And when you've got people that that you can't work with, you know, comfortably, who are are creating discomfort, that, that disrupts the team. And you can't just avoid, you can't just, you know, avoid that person, kind of shun them, kind of push them out of the team, because they need to be contributing too and 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 so you've got to you've got to deal with the situation you can't just I, I don't think you can just avoid it, especially in you know in a teamwork situation where you're all trying to work together to accomplish common goals
3: right and what if it's your boss right <laughs> what what if it's somebody that what if the jerk is yeah. somebody that's a a real important person to you
8: yeah well that's when you've got a real problem because you know i think um you know speaking of statistics and stuff, but the Gallup organization found that the number one reason people you know, quit their jobs is because they've got a bad boss. You know, their boss may be a jerk. Huh. And that's the number one reason people will quit. And, and the statistics are showing that there's a, a large number of jobs that are coming, you know, in the future, and there aren't going to be enough people to fill them. Uh, this next generation that's coming along, Generation Z, um, is a smaller generation. There's just not as many people in it. And I think the, I saw something recently that there's going to be a, a surplus of about 300,000 jobs in the next five years or so. And Man. that means that companies have to do everything they can to retain their employees to you know attract the best employees and retain them yeah and if you've got a if you've got a bad boss you know who's a jerk and they're they're causing people to quit that's not good for the company
3: no well, and imagine you can't retain people your your turnover your overhead i mean it costs a lot yeah. of money to to get somebody into the company to get them up to speed and then to have them leave again because of a a boss or a bully. What do you sense causes the jerk uh, in uh, in these people? What's their driver? What is their problem? Well, they get
8: satisfaction from pushing people's buttons. Uh, you know, there's a, there's this internal satisfaction they get for whatever reason. You know, without getting into all their history, you know how they were raised and all that. But um, they they're satisfied when when people. When they, when they push people's buttons and, and make them uncomfortable, make them suffer, make them uh, feel bad. And um, it's just some sort of internal thing that, that, that gives them
3: satisfaction. Yeah, maybe a little more control, more power over you. Sure. And especially if, exactly. if you're the only one being bothered, Peter. Like if, if I'm the only one that's really irked by this guy or he only does it to me, then I really have nowhere to turn.
8: Well, yeah, and and you you've you've always got your boss to turn to. I mean, you've, right. you've got a, you know, you can certainly try to confront this person, you can take them on, and if that doesn't work, then you've got your boss and hopefully your boss will will step in and try to
3: to help help the situation. It's interesting too because it seems like some of these scenarios could be actually created by a boss where they are not meaning to, but they use competitive systems so there's a lot of competition on these teams sometimes, yeah. and that, that in and of itself could be, you know, problematic.
8: Yeah, well, uh, you know, I've, I've worked in companies myself, you know, in the past where a, a boss will tolerate um, someone who's a real jerk. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, because they perform well. Yeah, they're a top they're performer. performer on the team. They're a top performer, and they, and they actually sort of look the other way because they don't want to let this person go. They don't want to, you know, get them mad and have them leave because, um, because they confront them. So they just let them keep doing what they're doing. Um, and then and, uh, as the rest of the team goes away
3: or, or checks out, like you said, they become
8: disengaged.
3: How do, we, how do we determine if it's a big enough problem for us that we need to address it?
8: Well, certainly on a personal level, if you're feeling uncomfortable, if you can't focus on your job 100% because of this jerk then that's that's big. En- that's a big enough problem um, to to de- to you know confront and and deal with. Um, if and then if others are feeling the same way, I mean, if you're talking to your friends there at work and they're saying the same thing, um, then you've got a really big problem. Uh, mm-hmm. But even if it's just yourself and you're feeling uncomfortable, that's something that you, you should deal with.
3: I mean, if I'm thinking about it all the time, if I if I'm dreading going to work as I pull in and I see his car and I'm like, ah, oh, geez, uh, he's here. I guess if it's funny. in my mind. I'm going to act it out one way or another. I probably need to get it out of me by bringing it up instead of just acting it out passively or exactly, aggressively.
8: That's what I would recommend. Yeah. I, I would definitely recommend that.
3: Let's uh, let's take a break. We're speaking with Peter Economy. He's a, an author and a writer. He has written extensively for com. You can go uh, find him under Leadership Guy, but you can also look him up at PeterEconomy.com. By the way, Peter, killer name especially for Inc. Magazine. That's pretty awesome. We'll take a break, have more with uh, Peter Economy, and uh, figure out exactly how we confront the jerks in our lives. It's not easy, is it, folks? It's just life, part of life. We'll take a break, come back, helping you learn how to live healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. It's your form of flattery, so I thank you. Identity theft is not a joke,
0: Jim. Millions of families suffer every year. Michael!
2: Oh, that's funny. Michael!
3: There you go. Oh, I love that. Dwight Schrute, a pretty great example of the jerk in the office. And uh, one way that Jim, his counterpart, is trying to deal with him is just mimic him, dress like him. That's why Dwight's all ticked off about identity theft. Joining us on the phone is Peter Economy. Peter is a best-selling business author, ghostwriter, development, developmental editor, and publishing consultant with more than 80 books to his credit. He writes columns on leadership and management for Inc.com. He's called The Leadership Guy and also has served as associate editor for leader to leader magazine since 2001. Peter, we appreciate you being here. Thanks for teaching us about how to deal with the Dwights in our lives. Uh, My pleasure, Matt. So, if if I decide I need to confront somebody um, because they're being a Dwight, they're being a jerk consistently to me, they're bothering me. How how do I prepare? What do I do to get ready to have this conversation?
8: Well, I think you get the facts. You 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 really sit down and assess how is this person impacting you personally. Yeah, what are the what are the feelings you're feeling? What is it that they're doing that is is you know, causing these these um, buttons to be pushed within you and and just write it down because uh, you want to kind of prepare a script um, to deal with this person. You're going to want to sit down with them and talk to them. So pre- to prepare, you just want to do a little bit of research. What are they doing? What's the behavior that's bugging you? And how is it affecting you and your your ability to do your work, to do your
3: job? The script idea is, I think it's a really important idea. It gives me a chance. I know how they'll respond. I've seen them respond a hundred times to other people. And so by thinking it out, I guess it gives, me, it gives me the next thing to say, the next thing to do. I'm wondering if that would alleviate some of my anxiety about addressing it. Well, definitely. Just, just
8: you know, getting, getting, taking the time to write it out to, to really think about what, what's happening within you. Um, what are the behaviors that are bothering you and, and, and how is it affecting your work? Uh, that definitely will reduce your own anxiety just going through that process before you even talk to this, this person that's, that's that's the jerk at of the office.
3: And having the facts, I think too is powerful because a lot of times we don't make our decisions based on facts. We make it kind of on based on an interpretation or a conclusion we've made. But when it, a lot of times I've noticed as I do I do a lot of mediation uh, work and helping couples talk. I notice when the fight starts, we start, Eventually, when it's not working anymore, we start looking for the facts of the argument. So, 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 what do you right. mean? I didn't say that. I said this, and I didn't mean that. So, so, having the facts, I guess, makes sure I can go back to something that's on solid ground.
8: Yeah, and and so much of this is you know is triggered by emotion. I mean, uh, you know, when when they when these jerks in our office are pushing our, our buttons, these are mostly emotional buttons. They're they're you know triggering strong emotions within us. And if you can go back to the facts, you know, to the rational facts and have those as sort of the bedrock of your your approach here, um, that'll help you get past those emotions Hmm. that that may be clouding clouding your mind a bit. Yeah,
3: I I guess that is the key, too, is you got to go with your emotion in check, because if not, you're going to look like a loose cannon. And it seems like the bully is going to love that
8: yeah that'll make them feel even more you know excited and you know it's like, wow, I'm really doing it i, I I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm really enjoying this.
3: Yeah, you know? you're playing my game my way i'll I, then they'll exactly. have a huge advantage. what are, do you have any words or phrases, things you we should maybe avoid saying, things we should watch out for?
8: well I, I don't think you want to put um, you know you don't want to inflame
3: the situation by by
8: putting blame on them you know by by saying you know you're such a jerk and 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 call, you know calling them names like let's say name calling you shouldn't be doing name calling mm-hmm. you should just be talking in rational terms you know um what you do when you um do this it it causes me to feel this way and when i feel this way i can't focus on my work and 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 i can't be productive in my job and it's 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 causing problems with my ability to do my work
3: cuz so, it could just uh, it be voice, Oh, go ahead.
8: I was just going to say, I'd avoid name calling and, yeah. and, and, like you said, playing at their level.
3: It's um, sometimes this could just be, I mean, they could be a jerk overtly taking you on, but sometimes it could be just subtle stuff, you know, moving the stapler, <laughs> playing music. Right. It, it could just be. It could be things you've asked them to do. Hey, can you always return my stapler when you borrow it? Sure, sure, sure. Right. Um and, and <laughs> what what I wonder too is that we might be running into somebody that's that's not just a jerk necessarily. Some people, it seems like, are just clueless. And yeah. I guess we want to make exactly. sure we differentiate, right? Is this are they just clueless? Do they do this to everybody or is it is there something about my relationship with them? Yeah, I think that's a wonderful
8: point, um, because a lot of times the people who are jerks who we consider jerks in the office really don't even know what they're what they're doing that causes people to, to react in that way. They don't realize they're being jerks.
3: Yeah. Um,
8: and, and you're actually do you know doing them a favor by pointing these things out.
3: Napoleon uh, Bonaparte had a quote that said, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by incompetence. <laughs> and it, don't you think it seems yeah. like a lot of a lot of the people around us, like they might be emotionally challenged, they might be socially challenged, and yet it doesn't mean they they're not a brilliant you know engineer or they're not a brilliant contributor sure. on a team. They just don't know how to be on a team.
8: Exactly, and and you're actually helping them by by pointing out their behaviors that are causing problems in the office i mean they may not like you said they may be clueless they may not be aware and and it's to their benefit to to be you know become aware of these things you're doing them a favor
3: yeah you re- no, you really are and i guess cuz it would be easier to maybe not have the conversation and just suck it up so to speak but you're not helping right. them and you're not alleviating your stress either Exactly.
8: Yeah, I think the best thing is, is to take it on, you know, to, to
3: deal with it, not to ignore it. And um, let's say I do that, I, I guess, if it doesn't go well, I mean, is this something I should try to do privately? I mean, I personally would probably want to do it privately, but I also would want to witness. <laughs> so um, I don't yeah. know how you get the best of both worlds there.
8: Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I I would agree that I think the first conversation is private. I mean, you don't want to do this publicly. You don't want to call them out in front of a bunch of people and embarrass them. Again, especially if it's something, you know, an innocent behavior that they are not really aware of that they're causing problems. Um, But, yeah, I'd say privately the initial conversation to just be like in an office or maybe outside the building. Let's go for a walk. Let's talk. Um, and I don't know about the witness part of it, but I'd certainly have a private conversation initially. And if it went well, great. Um, problem solved. If it doesn't go well, then I think that's when you have to, you know, kind of escalate things.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think is that anybody that's listening could be asking themselves, boy, I wonder if I'm perceived as a jerk. Uh, it, it, mm-hmm. what, what would be some signs that you are a jerk? for you to detect um, <laughs> you know what i mean coming at it yeah. from the personal level am i a jerk here yeah well certainly
8: when people start avoiding you uh, that's probably sign number one um you know you walk into the office and everybody runs away <laughs> yeah <laughs> they run the other direction that's certainly a, a strong sign that there's a problem and you know people who may have treated you know you you had good relationships with initially at work, and they, 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 these relationships start falling apart for whatever reason, that may be a sign that something within you is is, is causing problems, especially when it's more than just one person, if, if more than one person is having problems with you and is starting to avoid you, mm. that kind of thing.
3: It really reminds me of playground behavior, you know, uh-huh. where there's the bully, and then there's the ones that kind of suck up to the bully, and then they become part of the gang with the bully. And they're usually right. not as mean, but they have to play up to the bully. And uh, but it also is interesting um, if somebody's as, as aggressive as a bully is, then maybe you taking them on, or I mean, that sounds harsh, but you addressing it with some strength might be actually perceived as positive. They might Definitely. respect that. Um,
8: exactly. They also might that, beat
3: different. you down, but.
8: No I I think I, I, you're you're exactly right. Um you know when you come at it with strength within yourself that that's something that's the, that that person's going to respect. And 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 it may be enough to help them change their behavior.
3: Yeah. I guess in the end uh every case is so, is so different and so personal. Sure. Um when and you see it with Ink magazine and all the writing that you do is it's it's really a lot a lot of our problems i mean a lot of our success and problems in business it's about people isn't it it's about your ability oh, yeah. to be connected with people
8: business is all about people it's all about relationships that you build no matter what kind of job you have whether it's a sales job you know if you're an accounting um, you're a manager it's all about people and, and your relationships and your ability to communicate. Um, well with other people and get along with people and work together with other people. It's, you know, business is people.
3: That's right. You're right. It's uh, it's all about the people, isn't it, Peter? Well, Peter, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work there at Inc. Magazine. And uh, I suggest everybody go to your website, petereconomy.com petereconomy.com Wonderful uh, posts there. You've done a lot of writing, Peter. You Keep up the great work. Thanks so much, Matt. I really appreciate it. You bet. PeterEconomy.com. You can get everything. Five gold medal habits for success in your career. Six habits for hyper success in business. Wonderful resource if you're a manager as well. It'll probably give you some good stuff to talk about in your meetings. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, to a quick little Coach's Corner. Plus, we're going to figure out uh, earlier Terry was talking about something that they're, that they're now, I guess, having at the pumps, at the gas pump that you won't believe. There's this new feature. But will we use it? Stick with us. We'll find out what he's talking about. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's tough uh, to be a... Uh, Dealing with somebody that's really difficult for you every day, day in, day out, but one of the little pieces of advice I have, um, you know, it takes two to tango. And if you know somebody's pretty aggressive or reactive, I mean short of you being physically abused by this person, you could have a little fun right so if they if they always move your stapler for fun, you know, hide the stapler <laughs> or put it in the jello as they did with the white, or tie a big rope around your stapler as a joke. Like I would tie a huge mooring line rope to my stapler and put the guy's name on it. This was for you, Jim, so my stapler doesn't leave my desk. Put it in jello. Then that'd be great. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Some people are just strange, Uh, and uh, I wanted to tell this story, and we've now got Terry here. Um, So, Terry, get ready to talk to us about what's going on at the pump. But first, here's the story. A woman who drove her husband's body on a days-long traveling wake in Alaska has not been accused of breaking any laws. Hmm. Right? So a woman took her husband— that had passed away, 78-year-old man had died of natural causes. She put him in an aluminum transport casket, and then police say the woman stopped at canneries for ice in Alaska to put in the truck bed during the rolling wake. I'm not
2: dead. Think I'll go for a walk. I feel happy.
3: I feel happy. (laughs) They shut the door on him. The man had died of natural causes. The mortuary took custody of the body after authorities were called. Police say hopefully the woman won't take her husband back out on the road, but that he wasn't aware of any laws that she had broken. Hmm. So apparently it's not illegal. I guess once your spouse has been, you know, you know, uh, what do we call it? Your friend here
7: is only mostly dead.
3: (laughs) Once they been, once the doctors called it, yeah, and I guess the paperwork's been filled out, you can take him in the, then the body's station re- wagon, released
0: and, to the family as
3: they call it, yeah, and, yeah. and just hit the road. Off well, you go on a wake, keep him on ice. Now, sure, she can do it legally, but uh, if she brought the guy to work, yeah,
0: there's places where you don't. People want are going to gonna be a little frustrated. Yeah, you don't need to do a weekend at Bernie's. Yeah. Situation. Oh,
3: I thought he died. No, he's we we're just having a little wake now. That's kind of weird. Um, okay, now you have an update so for So st- I
0: stopped to get gas this morning. Okay. Noticed I was out. My car started chiming. As like it was like four does. in the morning. Yeah, so
3: I'm standing there
0: and I'm looking at the pump, you know, yeah. like you do. Uh-huh. And I noticed to the side of it, and I'm going to show you this photograph here, there is a box of plastic gloves. Really? Germ-free pumping. On the box, it says... Fuel nozzles are one of the most widely used public service surfaces during our daily commute. Ah. Right? So yeah. there, you, there are there a there surface, lots of people grab them, possibility of germs, contaminants and stuff. You grab it, fill up your car, just get in the car and go. People eat in their cars. Yeah. Are, Boy. So you pull up to pump your gas. Are you going to stop, pull out the plastic gloves,
3: put them on, and uh, then pump your gas? Well, I don't ever think of the gas... Hose and nozzle as a health issue, except for the fact that there's gasoline in it. Yeah. But I mean, you think about it. Yeah. People but, are touching it all day long. Well, and... sure. But, you Where know, have they been? You, you probably have more germs on your phone. I might use the glove to put over my phone.
5: Yeah. Those gloves would have multiple applications. If you, you want to go... take a little gas to go, fill yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. up the dog tie too. off
3: about 20 of those.
0: Yeah. So, but it seems like, is that. Is that necessary, do you think?
3: No, that's weird. But you know who I could see? I could see, like, my wife might love that. Have you seen that before No, never seen that. It's just, they're they're just bolted to the side of all of the gas pumps at the station I stopped at. This is what's weird about society. When I was a kid, people would pump gas and fix your car without gloves. Mm -hmm. Now I see a lot of people working on your car with gloves. Well, yeah. You know, which was weird. I mean, it makes it smart, right? Yeah. Stay clean. Um, well, that you're, as you're you
0: know working on different parts, you could bump your hand and yeah. cut your hand. So they don't so, want to do that, but they didn't used to do that.
3: No. They just used to man up and just go in there and touch take care that of scalding yeah.
5: a hot radiator cap. Right. If the dead body you're transporting during mm. the gas break, you know, if it's he a great
3: point. that opens up, you could close that up again. What they ought to have is ice and gloves in case you are going to have a moving wake. So I just thought this was very that's weird. odd. I've Looking never at that, seen like, that.
0: Who's going to glove up to, you know, pump their gas? It seems like it makes... you have a bigger risk when you hit the restroom. Yeah,
3: they ought to just have. They always have the hand sanitizer. Yeah. That nobody uses.
0: Right. I think it'd more sense to put the hand sanitizer in your car. Sure. And then just you know, if you're that
3: concerned about it, sanitize See, after you pump up. That's one thing we you get on the Matt Townsend show. We bring you the latest, greatest sanitary devices to make sure that as you pump your gas, you don't get an infection because we care. We'll take a break. Hour number three. Up next, folks, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and love stronger. We'll be back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr.
4: Matt on Twitter
1: at DrMattShow.
4: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
3: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
4: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU
5: Radio.
3: Welcome back, friends. Hour number three of the program. So good to have you with us. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Today uh, is a very, very important day. It is a day we celebrate... Knives. It's Knife Day, folks.
8: This is Ginsu 2, a complete set of knives like this Ginsu Chef's Knife. <laughs> It'll cut through a branch and still remain razor sharp. And look, the dual edge is like two knives in one. Wow. But wait, you also get this what? matching Ginsu cleaver. What? It, it can it split a log.
3: Yeah. Hey, so if you need to split a log and slice and dice, and if you want to cut a tomato so you could read the newspaper through it, it's Knife Day. And by the way, nobody loves a good knife better than our own Terry South. Terry stays up late at night watching every oh, knife right. infomercial The Knife around. Channel. The Knife Channel.
0: On the weekends, it's live, it looks like, from somebody's mobile home. <laughs> and uh, high quality on the production. And occasionally, the, the people that are trying to showcase the knives, it's like the home shopping network for knives, they will they'll slip and cut themselves. Really? Yeah. But they always have like the 97... Uh, economy pack of knives. Yeah, and they throw in a bonus like uh, samurai sword.
3: And uh, yeah, you'll get you'll get you'll get all of the ninety seven knives, and you'll get a, a sword.
8: <laughs> Speaking of knife, knife, that's a knife.
3: Oh, Crocodile Dundee. Do you remember that one of the greatest scenes ever? You call that a knife? That's not a knife.
0: So I'll sit there and just kind of look at the knives like that's a cool knife. They have like Bowie knives, all kinds of different so, knives. My wife's like, "Why are we watching this?" And I go, "It's the Knife Show." Where did you get it on a recent knives? Where, like, where all of a sudden I, I, did you think I, I, I need? A I'm knife. not really into knives. I just noticed once that there's a thing called the Knife Show, so I might as well stop and look. Remember I told you about the Polka Hour on that one? Yeah, yeah. I just I, I see odd things on my my uh, satellite service. I'm paying for. I might as well check it out. I'm paying for it. You may as well, right? But and um, some of them have kind of you know caught on. My seems, wife won't let me buy anything. It seems like you just need to learn to sleep. I told her if you, because a lot of these big combos, combo packages ah. of knives, it's like they're like $100. Right. So you're paying a dollar a knife or sometimes less than a dollar per knife.
3: They're and they, a samurai sword. They
0: talk about on the show, you can go, you take this, go to the swap meet, and you <laughs> could sell each one for like five bucks and make so much profit. Have you ever done that? No. A lot of effort there. I had a lot of work. But it's a good, you know, business plan until you lose a finger. Yeah, because you're handling a samurai sword. Yeah.
3: So happy knife day to you, Terry. So happy for you. We also are celebrating Pluto's demoted day. We last hour, if you missed it, we actually interviewed Mister Pluto. Found out some neat things about him. His right. name is Maurice. Mm-hmm. They call him Mo Pluto. He's also named after named by an 11 year old girl from Cambridge. No, wow. from Oxford. Oxford, that's right. Her name was Venetian. Yeah, kind of, kind of embarrassing. Yeah, to be named by an eleven-year-old girl. He's not here now because but he got a little mouthy with. it. Is him. that
0: like the uh, public contest or something? Like a Bodie McBoatface situation? Probably. But they came up with a name like Pluto. But, what was that? hundred years ago? Yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I mean Pluto. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that? It's a dog. It's well, a, that came it, it's later. Not a Disney dog.
0: That came later. No, but that's got to bug him. You didn't bring that up. I know. I should have. It was a good move, though. He was yeah. a little touchy when you came to certain I terms. thought he was going to hit
3: me, but then I realized he didn't have arms.
0: Yeah. He just sort of floated into you.
3: Right? Hey, uh, we'll be getting to also uh, not just celebrating Knife Day and Pluto Day. We're, we will be talking about why children misbehave. You need to listen up to this, Terry. <sighs> Terry's having a baby, and his, his wife is actually. Yeah, I'm not really much In involved. a few months, and this is a big deal. You need to figure out why your children will be misbehaving. I already know why mine do. Okay. In-laws. <laughs> you blame grandma? Yeah, blame grandpa now. Okay. Yeah, that's it. I mean, they don't act like me. They act like my wife's family. All right. So we'll take care of all that uh, and figure out why children misbehave. But first, we must get to Caitlin Thomas, find out what's going on with the headlines. Caitlin?
4: Thanks, Matt. A new poll released yesterday shows Hillary Clinton leaning Donald Trump by 12 percentage points among likely voters. The poll found that 45 percent of voters are supporting Clinton, while 33 percent are behind Trump and 22 percent would not pick either one. Donald Trump said on Fox News that he is open to softening laws dealing with people who are in the United States illegally, a marked departure from his hardline stance on immigration, which has defined his entire campaign. Trump said there certainly can be a softening because we're not looking to hurt people. We want people. We have some great people in this country. He then added, we are going to follow the laws of this country. The Trump campaign recently canceled an upcoming immigration speech in order to think through the issue more. But as part of a new strategy to appeal to African-American voters and white voters who do not want to appear racist by voting for him, Donald Trump is reportedly going to hit Hillary Clinton for the 1994 crime bill her husband signed while in office. Additionally, a report in the Washington Post detailed how he plans on going to urban areas and black and Latino communities. Reporters of the New York Times were allegedly targeted by Russian hackers in the past several months, CNN reported yesterday afternoon. The FBI and other security agencies are investigating the breaches, and officials believe that the hack may be related to the one that targeted the Democratic Party earlier last summer. Neither the FBI nor the Times have confirmed the reports. And there you have it, Matt. There's your headlines for today.
3: Man, the Russians are everywhere but the Olympics. (laughs) Well, they got caught. They got caught. (laughs) If they would dedicate as much time and energy to the Olympics, so they've been banned from the Paralympic events, which I think is horrible. Right? Because the Paralympics have, they've been doing everything they can to get into the Paralympic Games, and yet, and some some Russians still got to compete, right?
0: Yeah, there was a, if you weren't connected to whatever the controversy was, they let you in, but it was a small handful versus the, but they banned the whole
3: Paralympic team? Yeah. That's sad. Meanwhile, If you're a hacker in Russia, Hmm. no problem.
0: What do you mean no problem?
3: (laughs) Until you get caught. They're hacking everybody. They've been caught. Well, uh,
0: do you not think we aren't hacking everyone with our government
3: hackers? Are you kidding? On our 50-year-old IRS computers?
0: We don't have 50-year-old IRS computers. The IRS does. Well, they do, but they don't have them at the NSA.
3: Says who? The NSA. Yeah, says who? Says who? By the way, hit says who again. Says who? Sounds like Pluto. Yeah. Did you notice it's that? Like the same guy. Pluto talks like he works for the Trump, you know, campaign. You
0: asked him about that. He said he had no
3: knowledge of anyone named Donald Trump. I think. Did I ask him if he if he ever sees him up in in his own galaxy? Mm. I think he said he was a Bernie supporter. He's a, a Bernie, Bernie supporter. He yeah. fills the burn. Yeah. Except he only fills it what every hundred years,
0: when he makes it around makes the sun. Makes it around the
3: sun. That's, by the way, and we didn't get into any of this data about Pluto, Hmm. when he gets close enough to the sun, it melts his ice caps, and it creates an atmosphere. Wow. So Pluto only has an atmosphere when he's close to the sun.
2: Hmm.
3: You know, it creates all that gas. That's, I think, what his problem is. Interesting. He's just all, he doesn't have an atmosphere. So
0: if he had more... Mm -hmm. Huh. I don't, I, he seems very complicated. He's
3: a very complicated He's planet.
0: ostracized by the rest of the planets. Now he's not even a planet. He's a dwarf planet. He has to deal with that out there by himself. Or she says he's a little planet.
5: Yeah. I think had you been out of a job for 10 years, you might be able to sympathize.
3: If I had been out of a job for 10 years, I would have started something. I'd probably have my own multi-level marketing opportunity out at the edge of... <laughs> Of the of the world That's what I would have done I wouldn't just sit around Like a lazy planet Freezing all day hmm. Being down I'd pick myself up By the bootstraps He doesn't wear boots I know that's what's weird He doesn't have legs Yeah he's sort of a Just wheeled him in here Floating body of sorts Hey um Okay here's a crazy thing So let's say you have legs Okay And you want to break A world record <laughs> What would you ever break the world record to hit every train station in New York as fast as you can? Is that a record you're going to go after? No. The answer to that is correct. Okay. It, it is not something you'd want to do. But Matthew Ahn did it. New York City's swiftest strap hanger, the 25-year-old lawyer, lawyer for heaven's sakes. Yeah, he's got all the free time in the world then. Well, yeah, because he's not doesn't have a job, set the Guinness World Record last year for the fastest time to hit all 468 train stations. I didn't know there were 468 train stations in New York. He did it in a supersonic time of 21 hours, 49 minutes, and 35 seconds. But when the MTA opened its new 34th Street Hudson Yard stop in September, creating the 469th station in the system, the record passed into oblivion. Last week, though, on Not to be Deterred, he recaptured his rail riding glory. And he was dressed for the scorching heat in his salmon t shirt, shorts, and running sneakers. But this is what he packed. He only packed two bottles of water, a Diet Coke, and five Cliff Bars. Hmm. Because he, he had to minimize. Packing light. Right. That's an important record. Why?
8: Right. <laughs>
3: Doesn't seem that important. It's a lot of work. 21 hours of your life gone. Feels like an eating contest. Talk about wearing gloves. You did a lot of stuff,
0: but didn't really accomplish much. Yeah. Maybe in New York it's a big thing. Maybe he can walk around and talk to his friends, and they're like, wow, you rode the subway. And By the way, he beat his
3: record by 21 minutes and 21 seconds, hmm. even though he added all those other stops. I think he only went to the restroom once, I think. How do you... Don't
0: ask. Yeah. There's, a, there's probably an answer to that uh, question. New you York don't want to subways. know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If I was going to do a world record, if I was going to go for a Guinness world record, I don't know that I'd go for that one. What would you yeah. go for? Yeah. If you could. What would yeah. you go for? I would probably do. Sitting? Uh, hot dogs on a stick. Really? I'd try to go for the record on that
0: one. You'd go for an eating contest.
3: Yeah. Sure. Okay. I've already got a little acid reflux. Why not? (laughs) Apparently, I've got plenty of acid going around. Just add to it. That sounded gross. Hillary Clinton's in trouble. Yes, she is. But no one's going to notice. We talked about it in the first hour. Nobody's going to notice. Half, at least 85 of the 154 people from private interests who met with her, half of the people that that weren't government-affiliated, half of them, had donated to the Clinton Foundation. Says who? That equals $156 million of donations. And that's not even including the government. So her other half of her meetings were with government entities and many from those entities as well.
0: And this is coming out of the, another pile of emails that yeah. were released and more to come, which is crazy. How many right. emails does one person have? Apparently a lot. She generates a lot of email.
3: For somebody whose emails, she say, is, are quite boring. Yeah. Yeah. They're boring because it's all about setting up calendar events. Plus, do you remember they couldn't find a bunch of her calendar events and mm-hmm. now we maybe know why. Boom. <laughs> anyway, now 6,000 donors have, who have already given to the Clinton charity, are they now all expecting something if she becomes president? Clinton charities. Clinton, That's the question. The Clinton Global Initiative has uh, received more than $2 billion from 6,000 people since 2000. And if she's going to be president with, by the way, Uma Abedin, the same assistant that could be her chief of staff, Mm -hmm. Uma Abedin could be walking people in from every country that's ever given to the Clinton Foundation. Wouldn't you (laughs) expect something? Oh, yeah. If I gave a million dollars to somebody, I'd at least expect them to answer when I call. Well, if you go to In-N-Out
5: Burger and you buy a burger and fries, you'd probably expect that burger and fries, right, if you shelled up
3: five bucks? I'd expect, I'd expect that, yes. What do you expect if you give to a charity? It used to be joy and love, peace, changing the world. That's tangible. Now you get to meet with Secretary of State. Hmm. Man, In-N-Out Burger sounds really good right now.
0: I have two quick pieces of news for you. What? We've talked a lot about Pokemon Go. I know you love the game. Love it. It's apparently on the decline. Good. I can have my kids back. They think people are going back to school? It's going away. So it's trending down. Also, some bad news. Facebook. What? They've been messing with video. Yeah. They had it before where it was autoplay, so when you'd scroll through, it would just start playing, and the audio would come on, and people got annoyed with that, so they took it away. There's a setting where you can go in and shut it 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 off. Now they're messing with autoplay but with no audio oh i like that do you
2: yeah
3: i think i'd rather have it just wait till i hit play then you can decide yeah that's true i don't want everybody's stuff playing
0: because there's not every video that rises to the threshold of i want
3: to watch it i mean if i posted a video i'd want them to watch it but if others did i wouldn't want to watch it
0: yeah it's kind of so they're they're
3: testing Hmm. that we'll see how that works you got to do video Videos the future. In fact, on the show, we will start doing more video. We've got to, right?
0: We've started listening to a lot more video on the show, so this is the next step. It's because
3: we care. We know what you need. We hear the complaints. We receive those. We will uh, take a break, folks. When we come back, we're talking about your kids. Why do children misbehave and what you can do about it? The author of the book, The Thrive Life, was here, and uh, we'll be picking his brain stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. As parents, one of the most frustrating parts of the day can be dealing with the troublesome kids. You feel like you're asking them nicely, but when they don't seem to want to listen, then you just think, uh Huh? It's kids, I like my wife. Why do our children misbehave? How do they learn this behavior? Thomas Winterman joins us. He's the author of the book, The Thrive Life, and he's here with us this morning to help us discuss the topic of children and their sometimes wild behavior. And is it wild or is it just children being children? We appreciate you. Thomas Winterton, thanks for being with us today. Oh, sure. Thank you for having me. Now, you're a father, husband, therapist, school counselor, author, speaker. You deal with kids every day. Talk to us. What is going on? When children are misbehaving, how much can we attribute it to just they're being deviant, you know, naughty, and how much of it is just kids being kids?
9: I think the the biggest thing that we can take from children's behavior— is that it's a form of communication, and uh, for most children it's really one of the only ways they know how to communicate, especially when you're talking about the younger children, mm-hmm. the ones who are you know under five years old, the behaviors that you see they're trying to tell you something, and you know when it's misbehavior they're not telling you in a way that you want to hear it, but they're trying to communicate some sort of need to you
3: it's interesting, yeah it's because you'd say, just use your words, Timmy. <laughs> don't <laughs> don't hurt your sister. But they're trying to communicate frustration or some need, right?
9: Absolutely. And um, as with all children, there are developmental implications as well. Um, a child who is under five years old is, is really developmentally not going to understand the concept of sharing. Um, they can understand, if I don't share, I won't have free time, or if I don't share, I'll end up in timeout, hmm. but they really don't get the idea that, hey, other people's feelings matter, and that's why I need to share. Those, it's the higher level of thinking that we, as adults, have, and we automatically attribute to children, even though they might not be there yet.
3: It's interesting. Some ideas are just too abstract. They can see how it applies to them, what they'll lose, what they will benefit from, but in fact, is that what you call the little adult syndrome? Yeah,
9: that's that's exactly what it is. Um, we tend to look at kids as being just smaller versions of adults, and we expect them to think like adults, to act like adults, to have adult rationale, and to be able to understand what's going on at a level that they're just not really capable of yet.
3: Mm. So it really is about managing expectations. Talk about um, what, what we really can hold our children to. What What can we expect and what can't we expect or shouldn't we expect?
9: Well, as, you know, all parents have their own rules and their own limits, but there should be a set of behaviors that are just off limits. You know, we like to try to show empathy and understand what our children are doing and really reach out to them and get the message beneath the behavior. But at some point when it becomes a safety concern, you know, they're harming others, they're harming themselves At that point, as the parent, as the adult, you have to intervene, and you really have to get them out of that really strong emotional state before you can start reasoning with them.
3: Yeah, because once the emotion kicks in, it's a whole different game. And then it seems like we react to their reaction. right? So, So so once they're getting amped up, we start becoming more and more offended or even reactive ourselves, which seems problematic.
9: Absolutely. And then you have... um, Two people having a temper tantrum. You know, you've got the kid temper tantrum, and then you've got the adult temper tantrum on the side going on.
3: Is it? And I guess this is just developmental. This is normal. We 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 should probably expect it, and I guess we kind of expect it with a three or four year old. Except we, you know, we still call it terrible twos and right. terrible threes and terrible fours. And but in reality, they're just they are doing what they do. It's That's it's right. really the adult that needs to, to see it the the healthy way, the proper way, and um, I, I guess, right, and manage our expectation instead of just automatically assuming they'll think like us.
9: And it's really about the mindset, you know, being a parent or any adult that works with children. It's about your mindset going in, what your expectations are, and what you really want to see out of a child behavior-wise.
3: Hmm. Do, I, I guess... One thing with a kid, but if I'm seeing behaviors uh, with my older children, my teens, my my adolescents, they 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 can get this right. I can expect more from them, and and then and then I guess how do I make sure we're on the same page as far as expectation?
9: It's difficult.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah.
9: It's difficult, and you know, parents, as a parent myself, we put ourselves under way too much pressure. We want our kids to be perfect, we want them to grow up to be happy, and we want them to behave and everything to go smoothly. And when it doesn't, it can be very frustrating as a parent, and that's when we start to get really down on ourselves um, and we start looking inward at the way we're parenting as being the problem when a lot of this stuff is just normal behavior. And with the older kids, there's an exaggerated need for independence that starts to develop. They really need their freedom And as the parent, you're worried about the mistakes they might make with said freedom. So you're trying to hold them close. Mm -hmm. But you have competing needs. As a parent, when you have a teenage child, a lot of times the parent is feeling the child pull away, and they feel their need for love really being threatened. And so subconsciously, a parent will fight a child's need for independence with their own need for love, and that's where the power struggle comes in.
3: So true. And it's almost... I don't know. I have six kids and you see it. There's just a certain time where you look at a teenage kid and you realize, I think he hates me, <laughs> but he really doesn't. He's just trying to exert independence and, right. and be his own man, be himself. You know, but he'll still be back in 10 minutes for the car keys Yeah. after he told you your car's not a good enough car. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess part of that is not taking the bait because, like you were mentioning earlier, we do take the bait and then we become, I don't know, angry and reactive. And then I I end up disciplining out of reactivity instead of out of, you know, what's my goal? What's my goal for this discipline?
9: Right. And I think that as parents, uh, we've all been there. You know, we we lose sight of the purpose of parenting, and it becomes more corrective than it is teaching. Um, And it's really easy for me to sit here and talk about it, but when my six-year-old had a really bad day at school and is being disrespectful, it's hard for me to step back and be as objective about it as I am now, so I understand the difficulty. Um, But the whole purpose of parenting is to teach, and you can't teach unless mistakes are made.
3: Right. And then we almost scare them out of having a mistake, making a mistake, or sharing it with us. Right. Because we're so temperamental about it. I mean, in a way, it, I've noticed, um, even in my own parenting, when my child is doing something that uh, is embarrassing, I even if it's age appropriate, if it's embarrassing to me personally, I can be offended just simply because of how it impacts me personally, not even how it's impacting anyone else, how do I as a parent create that space so I'm not as offended, I'm not as reactive to my child?
9: That's very difficult, and that's a great question. I think that's a process. That's not something that comes naturally, and as people in general, we tend to be self-critical, and we take our children and think of them as a reflection of who we are. Right. So, you know, when we're at the mall and, you know, you've got your kid with you and they're, they're little and they start the temper tantrum and you start looking around and noticing people. And then you start, you know, you feel that you're getting red faced a little bit. You're starting to get mad. It's hard to step back and think, okay, my child needs, needs something right now. And they're trying to tell me what they need. And it's easy to be reactive and just get out of the situation. But with practice, it's something that we can be a little more mindful about and maybe just get a little better each day. You know, mm-hmm. we're not going to go from one end of the spectrum to the other immediately, but it takes time and it takes practice.
3: Yeah, and, and a little more awareness of what's going on with a little bit of practice here and there creates the space uh, between my mood, my reaction, my day, what they say, and and my response to it. Uh, sure. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Thomas Winterton, and uh, Thomas is a, a social worker, a clinical counselor. He lives in Panama City, Florida, with his family. He's also a therapist there. He wrote the book, The Thrive Life, and he's here talking about an article in Psych Central that he authored, The Reason Children Misbehave. We'll be right back, folks. Continue the discussion. Find out some more tools and rules as a parent to to manage our misbehaving children. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, create a healthier, happier family. To the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Thomas Winterton, author of the book The Thrive Life. He's here today discussing an article that he wrote about uh, the reason children misbehave. That article is in psychcentral.com is where you can find it. We appreciate you being back with us. Thanks, Thomas. Sure. Thank you. So talk to us about what we do. If we see the child's misbehaving and we, you know, we've effectively created a space so we're not we're not reacting to it and just blowing up to the misbehavior. What are some of the tricks of the trade that we can use to communicate and to make sure we're, we're focusing on the right thing?
9: Well, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of times as parents, when our children are having problems, we tend to make it about us. You know, we'll right. say, stop it, you're embarrassing me, or, you know, you're making this worse for us. We'll say those sorts of things when really, what's going on has to do more with the child than with us. So there's, an inward situation that's happening and your number one goal should be to calm that emotional storm. Um, And we see this some with the older kids, but this is, again, mostly with the younger children. When they start misbehaving, they start getting upset, they will sort of cycle down to the point where they're inconsolable, they won't hear reason, and there's really no way to calm them. And at that point, that becomes your goal. You want to make eye contact You want to reflect their feeling, um, use whatever feeling word you can come up with. You know, you look like you're very sad, mad, scared, and just be there with them and have a really close physical presence to let them know that you're there, everything's okay and it's safe. And then once all that is gone, you can address the problem, you can reason with them, you can talk about what they need to do next time, but they have to exit that emotional state before they're even ready to
3: hear any of that. So true. And so really, you have to even if you've got brilliant advice that they need to hear or they will eventually, you know, be killed in an alley because they're not paying attention to you, even if it's brilliant advice, it doesn't matter if they're already overwhelmed, angry and frustrated. You need to get into their pain and figure out what that pain is communicating. And that's
9: exactly right. And they will, they will not only not listen to logic, they will be illogical themselves.
3: Right.
2: You
9: know, they will say things that don't make any sense. You never love me. You don't do anything for me. And it's real tempting as a parent to pull out the scorecard. Say, right. Well, hold on a second. What? I remember last Christmas when, you know, I got you X, Y, Z. But they don't mean what they're saying. It, it's coming just from an emotional state from a place where they're very upset, and there's just no logic to it in the moment.
3: So so true. Um, and I guess, I mean, another key to this is, like you're saying, make eye contact, get into their story, and I hold your story back. I mean, the, I guess the big key I'm learning is don't react. My story is irrelevant until they're open to hearing it.
9: And that's exactly right. And if they feel feel that you are not actually listening to what they're saying, it'll get worse. And then you'll get more upset, and then they'll get more upset, and we have this communication pattern that's real negative and is not helping the situation at all.
3: What do I do if they are, you know, they're doing something at the store, they're tipping something over, and they need to be stopped? How do I do that without using, like, intense physical or verbal, you know, engagement?
9: Right. Um, Sometimes you have to go there. (laughs)
3: Yeah.
9: It's just, uh, you know, sometimes the situation calls for it and you have to go there. But um, the best thing you can do is try to remove them from the situation, and that's not always possible. You know, the best case scenario is you could disappear into a restroom and you can have a conversation or you can step outside. But if that's not possible, as a parent, you know, you have to do what you have to do, um, you know, inside the laws of child abuse to contain the situation. Right.
3: And again, remembering you're the adult, right? Right. I mean, yeah. in the end, what's your excuse? Right. The kid has an excuse if they're five. <laughs> they're five. Your excuse is well, he did this, but you know, they, yeah, you You, you, you got to reach up
9: and over stuff with them. That's not a good look.
3: Right. Never is, is it? <laughs> and I guess too, you got to know. I always talk about how you got to know what you want the relationship to be like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. in order to know how to treat them today. If I don't care right. about tomorrow, then I'm just going to blow through today with them. But if, right. I, if I know I want a close, tight relationship with them, I need to remember that today. Right. Right this minute. Mm. Any other advice as we wrap it up? Uh, what would you say is the one thing? I always like to focus on the one thing that a parent can do today to, to understand the misbehavior better um, and also maybe even handle it better.
9: I would say to look for the meaning. Look for the meaning of what's going on behind their temper tantrum or their misbehavior. And most of the time, kids don't know. We want an answer from them. Why are you acting like this? Why would you do that? Why would you yell at me? And they might might not even know. They might not be able to verbalize it. But if you take a step back and try to understand what's going on, and try to look for the meaning, you can be a little more empathetic in
3: the future. Yeah, something will be there. And and it'll edify you, it'll enlighten you, and they'll feel understood. Thomas Winterman, thank you so much for your work and uh, your help in understanding why children misbehave. Thank you for having me. Keep up the great work. Again, go find the book, The Thrive Life. It's here, uh, and it's a great uh, resource for all of us as parents. We will take a break. When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We'll be right back. If I had a million dollars, I'd sell the tree a yard. If I had a million dollars. Welcome back, friends. If you had a million dollars, oh that is the that is the point of the show. We'll get to it. Let's go visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and J- uh, Jerem Jordan are joining us today. Hello, gentlemen.
7: What's up? What's going you on? Doing? What's up?
1: We're there.
3: <laughs> okay, the song, If I Had a Million Dollars, comes from a headline I read yesterday. Bill Gates is now worth $90 billion. Wow. That's
1: a lot. 90 Bill!
3: I mean, who needs it's 90? like an
1: unfathomable amount of
3: I know. How do you even... Boy, do you know how many trips to IHOP you get? <laughs> Do
1: you remember? Didn't Wendy's do a series of commercials? Like, you can't
7: spend that much money in your lifetime.
3: No way. Well, you could a try.
7: A million chicken nuggets.
3: That is
1: they like
7: quantified
1: the a
3: lot of nuggets, nuggets, dude. Point. So here's the question. When I read that, I thought, ah, oh, man, maybe I went in the wrong business. You That's know? for sure. So if, <laughs> if 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 you weren't... On the radio, making hundreds of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. hypothetically,
1: hundreds of thousands of pages.
3: tens of thousands of nuggets. What would you be doing instead? What would be your job, your day job? Uh, every day you get in your car, you would you put on a uniform, you know, that says Spence on it. What I'd would
1: probably you be the director of the CIA? Let's be honest.
3: Would you? Was that what you would do? No. That sounds. I like
7: interact. <clears throat> I like interaction with people, so I would probably be a teacher and a coach.
3: There would you now? Yeah. It would you be in, at at Clinton High School?
7: Clinton Elementary Roy, at Roy High School. What? I, I don't know what? where I would be, but probably teacher. Yeah, probably a teacher okay. of some sort. I don't know. I just like I like interaction with people. I like to motivate people.
3: You'd be a teacher and a coach. You like motivation? Yeah, love it. You could start a multi-level marketing. Opportunity.
1: Be Matt Foley, motivational speaker.
3: Matt Foley. <laughs> I live down, in a van,
1: drinking coffee for a couple of hours. He's down uh, in the basement.
7: If not that, I would love to be an actor. Would you really? Yes.
3: Really. Uh huh. No. Okay. We did a little acting on our show today. I can't give you the details because people thought it was real. But um, what, like, would you want to like do a Disney acting? Do you wish you had been discovered as a Disney kid and? Then you're singing with Selena Gomez? Or
7: no, some? not so much that. I just, I, I have always uh, admired those that can be humorous in shows like Parks and Rec and The Office. Uh-huh. Yes. You know, and just, I'm like, it would be so fun to be around them and to work with them oh, that in, that, in that format. And if not that, to be a voiceover guy for like ABC Family or Disney.
3: Mm-hmm. See? You still would have been in the biz.
7: Maybe to a degree. But, I mean, that came later because I, because I am in the business. I'm just looking at different aspects and different angles. Mm-hmm.
3: This is like, exciting. This is very you interesting. You can
7: use your voice to make money. Yeah. Next on ABC Family. Oh, my god! You have to <laughs> smile while you do it.
3: You do. I could tell you were smiling. In fact, Coming you're... up
7: on Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> <laughs> your
3: you know, smile you know, makes you know, me smile. Okay, so I'd be you, homeless. You'd be a teacher, and uh, Jerem would be homeless. mm mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. You like being with people, too, don't you? I think so. What uh,
1: I don't know. I've never thought about this because when I was 6, I wanted to do this and I've been extremely lucky to be able to do it.
3: Really? Yeah. cuz you're now what are you? 14.
1: I'm 14, so it's been 8 uh, 8 years. <laughs> 14 minus 6, 8 years.
3: Because yeah. you hit you hit the money, man. You hit and puberty. That at the uh, same recently. that yeah. same week. Yeah. I remember that. That was huge. Uh, so you would be doing what you're doing now. So if you lost if you lost this job, and you could. We didn't allow you to have this one, or any job in sports, radio, or broadcasting.
1: So I'm not in America now. I can't just.
3: Yeah. Now you're in Russia. What would you do?
1: <laughs> in Russia?
3: No. Yeah. And You'd I can't say Brazil Marcia, What would you do? Yeah. You. you have professional
1: to pick, uh, figure skating champion. Wow. I, I don't know. This is like the first thing for my you, mind. I, you. Not by the way, you long do long have well, the sorry. you have the calves for it.
3: Figure skating champ. Okay. Good. I'm just taking a survey. Just good to know. You get know what? Those I notes down. I just got them. Taysom Hill. I would be Taysom Hill. Yeah. If I couldn't do this job, that, that guy Taysom just got the starting nod, huh?
7: Yes, and I don't think that the surprise factor is necessarily there for most BYU fans. Right.
3: I mean, really, should it be?
7: No. We're going to get into that.
3: Okay. Today Why, is that your topic? Oh God.
7: Today we just we're going to react. For the Taysom Hill News and why it matters now for BYU football.
2: Mm-hmm. This is why, why.
7: Why does Jerem think this is a good thing? That's what everybody wants to know. That's what I want to know.
3: Well, yeah.
1: Everyone wants to know why I think this is a good yes, thing. Yes,
7: exactly. That's why <laughs> we are going to discuss that.
3: Okay. No, no, Spencer, it sounds like you don't think it's a good thing.
7: I think it's a great thing, Matt. Oh, you do? Yes.
3: It's money. He's proven. <laughs> He's a senior.
7: There will always be the lingering, yes, but he's injury prone.
3: Okay. Nice. And
7: I you can call it bad luck, you can call it whatever you want. I don't I I seem to think that it's when I'm talking to people, people are like, Oh, you're just an optimist or whatever. Like he's had two blunt force trauma injuries.
3: Yeah. By the same guy, by the way.
7: Right? Yes. <laughs> By the same dude. Guess what? That dude's not playing at Utah State anymore. I mean,
3: yeah, he's, he'll be fine.
7: And Taysom's running a different offense. hmm So I don't think that there will be as much direct access to potentially hurt the quarterback right. <laughs> as there has been in previous years.
3: Will they use Mangum at all, do you think? Yes. Ah,
7: but how? We'll see. And <laughs> we, if Taysom Mills is a starter and
1: BYU wins and he's effective, you're not going to see Taysom, uh, Tanner Mangum in meaningful moments, I don't think, hmm. consistently.
2: Yeah,
3: but That's then, why you name a starter.
1: That's right. Yeah. Name him.
3: Okay, that's cool. Anything else on the show?
1: It's loaded. Did you see the Lego video that a guy made of the Hail Mary for BYU at the Nebraska? The No, but
3: I'm going to go look it up right now. It's
1: fantastic. That guy is going to join us. He's not a BYU fan. He's really? actually a Boise State fan.
3: But he made a Lego he video. He made
1: a Lego video with the ESPN call. Oh, Yeah. Fantastic stuff, like stop motion. You know how cool? So oh cool. yeah! <gasps> Plus Mitchell Juergens, senior wide receiver. We talked to him after practice yesterday. So loaded chill, man. Oh, Greg? Did we mention Greg Swaim? No. Greg Swain from the heart of Big Twelve countries, a TV host and radio personality. He uh, has some opinions and sources on Big Twelve information. We'll get his opinion on what's going on. He says out of the ten votes, you need a super majority of eight. That BYU has seven right now. Oh brother! For Big Twelve expansion. Okay. So we'll we'll talk to him about. What he's hearing, what's the latest in Big 12 expansion news? We're going to have
3: to send some people to get that last one. Hmm. I'll go.
7: One vote.
3: One vote. One legacy. Next on Big 12 Expansion. (laughs) (laughs) That was beautiful. It almost echoed. (laughs) You guys, that's talent right there. Raw talent. And right here we have two from River City. An actor, Spencer Linton. Mm -hmm. Uh, He put the Linton in Clinton. That's what they say. And homeless Jerem Jordan, also figure skater.
7: Coming up on an all-new Shimmer and Shine. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Sequins have never shimmered more. <laughs> Guys, have a great show. Okay. Proud Thanks. of you. Remember who that. you are. Thanks, Matthew. Stay strong. Over and out. Wow, that's a good point. him. He has one guy breaks his ankle twice. One guy. Obviously, a bad tackler doesn't know the technique. Yeah, it's got to go to it's got to go to Taysom. Come on, they'll cover that at BYU Sports Nation in just about six and a half minutes. We have um, we have a news story for you. This is in the bad boys kind of uh, category. Twenty-three-year-old man was arrested in Gainesville. Early Monday morning after he broke into a car and used a gun that he found inside to fire at another vehicle that had just run into his door. I mean, that's pretty bad driving. If you're going to – you don't hit somebody while a thief is rummaging through a car. (laughs) Wow. I think I see why they tried to hit him uh quinton grogan is charged with armed burglary firing a weapon from a vehicle criminal mischief uh property damage and petty theft according to police the car drivers left the car in an on-street parking space grogan's opened uh, opened the driver's door of the car and began rummaging through it when a passing vehicle hit the open door as it drove by uh, heading west The people in the passing vehicle turned around to talk to Grogan. Hey, man, sorry we hit your car. Grogan's like, hey, dude, don't even worry about it. No, he didn't just say don't worry about it, which you'd think you'd do if you're stealing something from the car. But instead, he pulled out a handgun that he found in the glove compartment of the parked car, and he starts firing it at the other vehicle. Now, do you believe this story? It seems a little sketchy to me. It seems a little sketchy. I have a feeling there's a little more going on. Maybe those guys that uh, hit the car door knew the guy. Hey, Timmy, you stealing from a car?
5: Sounds like another Ryan Lochte situation.
3: Exactly. The weird thing about uh, Mr. Grogan rummaging through the car, he was wearing a Speedo and a swim cap. Did he have both swim caps? He had two swim caps. And he had a gold medal dangling from his neck. And, and green hands. And, and green hands from the nasty pool. Anyway, crazy story. As we told you earlier, by the way, it is also uh, – it's, it's Pluto day. Pluto demoted day. It's the day Pluto was, was minimized to being a dwarf planet instead of being a regular planet. So in, in tribute – To Pluto um, and we interviewed him in the second hour. The planet Pluto, we call him more – his name is Mo Pluto. He was named by an 11-year-old girl many, many years ago, about 80-something years ago. And um, when you think about it, Pluto, he's – to be demoted is a big deal. I mean it basically tells you you're less than a normal planet. And they're calling him a dwarf planet and then he corrected us. No, it's a little planet. We don't only, – only they can call themselves dwarf planets. It's a little planet. And uh, so in tribute to uh, Pluto, we want to go back to this old famous song about Pluto.
4: There was a mouse who had a dog and Pluto was his name. Oh, P-L-U-T-O. Oh. P-L-U-T-O. P-L-U-T-O. P-L-U-T-O oh. And Pluto was his name. Oh, mm
3: brings tears to your eyes. Pluto, we love you. Don't hate the show just because we had a little fun with you. And happy Pluto Demotion Day. Also, happy Knife Day. (laughs) Wow. For those that are celebrating. As you know, we always like to end the show on a happy note, a hero story. Today's hero is a mystery man in Rockford, Rockford, Michigan, with lunch rush in full swing at the Corner Bar restaurant in Rockford, Michigan, the restaurant owners already had their hands and tables full when 30-some National Guard troops walked in looking for a meal. That was when the stranger thought he'd do his daily good turn. The mystery man requested to speak to the manager and asked if he could cover the entire bill, bill for all of the troops. The managers were amazed, asking the man several times if he was sure. Mr. Mystery ended up paying for more than he needed to, about $200, including a tip, for all of the 30 troops. The man asked uh, that nobody know his identity and left before anybody could say thank you. The troops said they were gracious and overwhelmed uh, by the thought of someone doing such a nice act. A lieutenant colonel said it's always very gratifying and humbling when a stranger picks up the tag, tab for servicemen and women. The staff at the corner bar are planning a catering event at an armory for the troops who didn't get a chance to come that day. The restaurant is covering the bill for that one. So to the mystery man in Rockford, Oregon, who's uh, or Michigan, who is actually motivated now, the rest of us, the, the store included, the restaurant included, to pick up the tab. Hey, everybody out there in listener land, it's your turn. Go pick up the tab for somebody today. Pay it forward. Find somebody in need, somebody that needs just a little lift, and go out of your way today to make that happen. By doing so, you become a hero, and you become one of the good guys, which we all know this world needs. Uh, We love being able to do this show with you. We can't do it without you. So join us again tomorrow, 9 to noon Eastern Time right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. But until then, take care of each other, watch each other's backs, and when you can, you know, lift, lighten the load. Lift another person. Give them the help they need. We'll talk again tomorrow. Make it a great one. Talk tomorrow.